Ladies and gentlemen, this is your podcasting captain speaking, here to inform you that the two hosts of this podcast are blithering idiots. They had originally thought that they would be able to do the final two songs of the Hamilton musical in one podcast episode, which was indeed a stretch too far for their capabilities. Instead, this episode will be focused on the song The World Was Wide Enough, the next episode will be focused on Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story, and then after that we will have our kind of end of show wrap-up episodes that you guys can enjoy. Um, I apologize on their behalf for the inconvenience that this may cause, and feel free to ignore the uh, multiple references in this podcast to this being the final episode. At the time it was, it is now not. There will be one more to cover the final song of the musical next week. Thank you guys so much for your patience, and uh, we're ready to take off. I know the action in the street is exciting, but Jesus, between all the bleeding and fighting, I've been reading and writing. We need to handle our financial situation. A nation of states, what's the state of our nation? The past patiently waiting, the passionately smashing every expectation, every action, the act of creation. I'm laughing in the face of casualties and sorrow. For the first time, I'm thinking past tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into a brand new episode of Let's Dive Deep. My name is Bradley. My name is Connor. And today we are going to be finishing our deep dive into the hit Broadway musical and pop culture phenomenon, Hamilton. During today's final deep dive, we will be focusing on songs 46 through 47. That's The World Was Wide Enough and Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. As per usual, we will be taking into account the Disney Plus version of the musical, the soundtrack, and of course, the experience of seeing Hamilton live. So no matter how or where you have experienced Hamilton before, this is the perfect place for you to be. Before we get started, as always, let's dive deep. All of them, not just Hamilton. All of them contain adult content. Much like, I don't know, shooting your friend for a variety of reasons that turn out to be insufficient, in my opinion. So I recommend, we recommend, that you don't Play this podcast in front of your children. Is it going to be so abhorrent that their lives will have been changed forever? Probably not. But is it a good idea? Also, probably not. It's, it's for adults. Additionally, let's dive deep. Hamilton does contain spoilers. Now, this is a debatable <laughs> point for this particular episode. Say, we should have cut if this you're, out. <laughs> if you're listening to this episode before finishing the musical, I you know what? I'm so glad to have you with us. But here's the thing. Whoops. If you haven't, we're going to spoil some things for you. And in fact, we just did. Here's the thing. Our focus each episode is a specific set of songs, but we will always take into account the entire musical to add context to our discussion. 
I, I should have taken out the spoiler warning in these notes, but that's okay. We're keeping it in. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can find other Let's Dive Deep series. This is where the alarms go off. I've done a Bridgerton Deep Dive series, which will be coming back um, in February. If you're listening to this in real time, that's when Bridgerton comes back. We are going to be doing Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter together starting in December. Lots of info on that on Facebook and Twitter and stuff. You can find that in the show notes. Uh, but there will be more Let's Dive Deeps after this if you're listening to this in the future. There has been some in the past if you're listening to this right now. So check them all out. Also for this deep dive, even though we're doing our final kind of deep dive episode right now, still go to Apple and iTunes and all that and leave the reviews, still go and do all that stuff. It's very helpful. Um, The point of this podcast is to kind of leave it as one block of work, one analysis of Hamilton that will live in the podcast sphere forever. And so it's still worth doing all that to bring more people who enjoy Hamilton to to come to the podcast and take a listen to it even if they're doing that six months from now a year from now i don't know but it'll be there for all of that so please go and continue to do those things and yeah that's all i got that's all he's got so that's it it's time it's finally time we got to do it bradley it's time to sit back relax maybe grab your beverage of choice i am going to need several I got one today, actual alcohol. (laughs) As we dive deep into Hamilton. Death doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. It takes and it takes and it takes. History obliterates in every picture it paints. It paints me and all my mistakes. When Alexander aimed at the sky He may have been the first one to die But I'm the one who paid for it Survived, but I paid for it As we get going here with The World Was Wide Enough Just a big disclaimer up at the top uh, This podcast could be 19 hours and will not be There will be something we don't mention, something we miss Something that just gets lost in the sauce as we go through these last two songs so just bear with us. We do have all the email feedback and stuff at let's dive deep pod at gmail.com. If there's something about this ending that you would really like to add to it that you think we missed, just letting you know that we're definitely going to miss something that you probably notice in this ending here. Um, so just, just let us know. It'd be awesome to, to communicate and we'd love to chat with you about it. The world is wide enough though. I actually got an alcoholic beverage for this episode. I normally we normally record this in the morning my time, so I'm a, I'm a coffee guy. But it's the afternoon right now, and when you get into the world was wide enough, and you just hear immediately that Ten Dual Commandments remix, I put in my notes like it's just chills. Like not only is it recognizable, but it's perfectly matched to the mood here. Because you know, as the audience, this must be where Hamilton dies. You don't quite know yet whether he's going to throw away his shot, whether he's going to get outdueled, what's going to happen. Maybe he, like, trips out of the boat and drowns or something. Like, maybe, maybe you know, like, I guess you know that Burr shot him. But, like, you don't really know exactly how this is going to go. But the mood tells you, like, yes, this is the moment. This is the end for Hamilton. Like, it, it gives you that sense of impending doom, but also of, like, you're, you're slowly approaching it. I don't know if what I'm saying is making sense, but just the, the, the way the music is constructed here is perfect to let you know what's about to happen. I agree with you. And I, I think you are making sense. You're bouncing around as is your typical fashion, right? But, you know, you're, you're not not making sense. The thing is, we discussed this early on in analyzing this musical. It's a tragedy in the style of Greek tragedy in a way 
we set out at the beginning of the story what is going to happen. The interesting bits are how we get to here. And so Hamilton, as it is built in, in this adaptation, it's a bit like a funnel. We're taking all of these info, uh, information points. We're taking all of these questions. We're taking all of this stuff, and we're barreling down towards some kind of inevitable moment. So it's completely logical that when experiencing this story, whether you're in the audience or you're just listening to it, you know that something is about to break. And it's probably going to break bad. And also, you made the astute observation previously, and maybe it's not the best thing for the storyteller, but it's something that you can be aware of. You do know there's 15, 20 minutes left. Something's about to happen. Right, absolutely. And so... I think it would be unwise of the storytellers to construct this moment in any way that didn't support that, right? You want the tension here. You want the drama. And I think the introduction to The World Was Wide Enough delivers that tension in spades. I think it's very well done. And also, kudos to them for giving us the third part of the 10 dual triplet. We had it with Hamilton's first duel, then we had it with his son, and now we have it, like, we have a perfect three-part structure here. And so we know that this is going to build on things that we've seen previously, but we also, if we understand intuitively how three-part structures work, it's going to be different, worse, or both. Right. I... At, at, like there's just so much here right at the beginning. I, I really want to talk about Burr's narration before we move forward. I think mm-hmm. analyzing Burr's narration mm-hmm. here is important from the jump and not really when it starts sticking out, which is, I want to say, three or four lines into the song. But I noticed this time around, mainly because I really pay attention when I'm taking my notes. Like, it's only like the songs are only five minutes or six minutes, so it's easy to just stare right at them. Um, I noticed just how... I passively noticed this before, but just how matching Burr and Hamilton's outfits are. And for some reason, that stood out to me in this moment, this time through. Like, it's a, it's a definite choice to make sure they look very similar and maybe this is the garb of the time maybe this is like what most kind of men of noble reputation right who have high good careers who are wealthy maybe this is what they'd be wearing but also i think it's a choice to allow us to believe they're they're even at the end here they're very intertwined like this is a story of two people like they could have this could have been a very different path very easily. This wasn't an inevitability. Like this was an unfortunate end to their story together, but they could it didn't have to end this way. It just did end this way. Yeah. Well, I think that because of the personal makeup of both of these individuals, I think this was an inevitability. And I I want to circle back to that here in a bit, but you know, as to the costuming and I'm familiar with, and our listeners are familiar with, your eternal loathing of all costumers the worldwide. <laughs> that right. being I, said, I hate them. Right? What you're, you hate them, you loathe them. Now, but the thing is, it can be historically accurate. That doesn't mean that it's not a choice in this moment, right? So it can be both at the same time. And I think that it is. I think that, that, viewing them as so similar i think that evokes in us the audience i think that that shows us if they had found more common ground 
or if they had realized more of the common ground that they had, if they had relished in it, if they had taken comfort in it instead of choosing the more choosing the path of more animosity, right? This could have been avoidable. But I think it's safe to say at this point in the show, we understand the die is cast. We're, we know where we're going from here. We, we knew in Obedient Servant that Burr was already ginning up for a fight. He was ready, right? We, we oh, talked yeah, about that. Yeah, 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 he was, yeah. It, it, his mind was made, yeah. yeah. Like, I, you know, it could be, uh, you know, uh, have you seen Dawn of Justice? I have not seen Dawn of Justice. Okay, so I happen to love uh, Affleck's Batman. I think that Ben Affleck's Batman is amazing. Uh, the Batfleck, big fan. But I think part of part of the problem with those films, if I may, is that it's it's a very interesting Batman drowning in terrible movies. And and part of the problem <laughs> is, I mean, it really is like Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne is amazing. He he does an amazing job. And I don't I don't know if uh I want to get into the Michael Keaton v. Christian Bale thing here, but Ben Affleck gives really good Bruce, okay? So, but then you you have this epic fight between Batman and Superman, and then it's like, we both have moms. Game over. Okay, we're friends now. And that, like, to deflate, to deflate the drama in that moment, right? That's what this play is is doing successfully, it does not shy away from the fact of showing you that there could have been a chance for both of these guys had they not avoided realizing that up to this point. It's only, I mean, again, no spoilers, but it does (laughs) contain spoilers, but Burr doesn't realize it until after the fact, and I think that that you highlighting his narration here that i think is key because i do agree this is this is past tense this is his analysis of what he wished he had like thought these are what he's telling us the audience here these are all the things that i wish i had thought of differently that i didn't right. these are all these are all the things i was wrong about the narration is very interesting because it is definitely, at least for parts of it, in the past tense, right? Uh, specifically, the two lines that really let you know that. Um, where are they here? Um, I didn't know this at the time, implying that he's talking about this after the event. Um, but also, not only is it in the past tense, but they kind of... I can't pin this narrator down. It's amazing, and it really works. So I'm glad they did it. But also, then he breaks the fourth wall a little bit to say, they don't teach you this in your classes. To be like, now he's Burr in 2021 with an understanding of history classes to let the audience know they didn't fucking teach you this part, right? Like, they don't talk about the glasses, okay? They didn't talk about the glasses. Like, when you learn this, no glasses, which is also, like, a really weird thing to heart. Like, the narration goes between past tense to kind of breaking the fourth wall to lots of parts that are in the past tense, I think, but could be mistaken for having been in the present tense. Um, like No, 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 no. That's where, like, I actually, I, I, I want you to drill your focus down on that moment that you're talking about. Because in that moment, Burr becomes present. 
in that moment, Burr is no longer talking about what brought him to that moment. Burr is talking about being in the moment. In, because right before that, uh, so, so right before that, we get, he examined his gun with such rigor, I watched as he methodically fiddled with the trigger. And then, confession time, here's what I got. Not what I had, what I got. So that is setting up, they won't teach you this in your classes. When he, when he compares their ability in the moment where they actually need to do work, we flip into the present tense. So all of the details leading up to the moment is, I believe, Burr examining, what was I actually fucking right about? Because now I'm questioning things. But I'm also stating my case to you like you're the jury. Like, this is what I remember. But then we, slept, we slip into the, the present tense because we're getting closer to that moment. I think we're going to disagree slightly on the narration here. And I think that's great because it's proving my overall point that this narration works very well, but it is a little messy. Like, it's not quite, it's not, this. if anything, it's not the same narration throughout. It jumps around different narrative levels and different levels of information and whether it's in the present or some analysis or break, like talking to the audience specifically, like now I'm justifying myself to the audience. Um, it works really well. I just really want to highlight it at the top that if you're listening to this for the first time, that may kind of pass by you. And I think whatever conclusion you come to about the narration here, examine it for yourself. Like Listen to this again if you haven't thought about this before and really try and figure out when Burr is narrating at what time. Because for, for me, when I listen to this, this song is very much like, like, oh, what is the, oh my God. What is that? What is that like romance movie where it's like, oh, ten reasons not to love you or something? Oh, what is that? Oh my god, it's so I'm that I messed that up. Ten things I hate about you. Ten things I hate about you. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Ten things. That's a I great hate film. You. It's a great it's film. A great it's film. Okay. Uh, Paul, don't send me a fucking email about forgetting that people listening. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Anyways, um, this is kind of like Burr and the ten stupid justifications I had for shooting Hamilton. No, it's not quite 10, but like to me, there's, there's so many points here. We, uh, we will dive deep and go line by line to analyze this, but the narration is fascinating because, because it, it's a justification. It's an explanation. It's a personal kind of spiritual journey throughout why he did what he did. It's kind of like a, a plea for forgiveness. Like there, there's a little bit of like after he shoots him, like he's going up to Hamilton. Like it's, it's a lot. There's a lot of narration jumping and, and, and um, reasons for saying what he's saying. And I, I'm fascinated by it. I, I love it. It works really well, but it's just a lot of minutia to, to search through, to analyze this, right? Most people aren't doing a three hour podcast episode that includes this song. And so they've like, but talking about it and writing notes about it is very difficult because of all of this jumping around. So I just, Calling out Burr's narration at the top is important because it gets a little messy, but it's amazing. You know what? I think there is there is room, much like I wish Burr and Hamilton had realized this about each other before the duel. There's actually room for both what you and I are saying here to coexist. Because if I 
if I move my pivotal moment of the past to present tense shift forward a little bit, or or back rather, back later into the song, it actually makes it more interesting to me personally and makes Burr a more energetic and more conflicting character. I want to say because... my flip in my head without looking at the lyrics. I want to say it's when he yells, wait, like that's the flip back. Like to me, we'll talk about that moment when we get there. But to me, before that, it's just like, here's the reasons I'm going to shoot Hamilton or why I did, sorry, past tense, why I did shoot him. Right. And then there's Hamilton does his my shot kind of re-rendition. And then as it flips back to Burr, he yells, wait. And now we're back into Burr. Like, I walk up to him. I get a drink. Like, that's all. That's all definitely present tense. Wait is exactly the word that I was about to fucking say. Oh, yeah. Like that, <laughs> yeah. That's where I was going to move my point to. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. wait is when it flips. Because after that, it's definitely present tense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 100%. There's no doubt about yeah. that. Before that, it's messy. And I, I just love this shit. Like, it's just the fact that Lin Manuel has accomplished this is incredible. And it's just awesome. I, I love it. Mm hmm. All right. Do we want to discuss all of the numbers? This is going to take forever. They're all fascinating. Number one. Actually, this part, pretty easy to analyze. Road across the Hudson at dawn. Makes sense. My friend William P. Van Ness signed on. He's got a friend. Analyzed. Yeah. Analyzed. Well, you know, across the <laughs> Hudson, because we all know that Weehawken is where laws don't exist. Right. Um, you know, you've Everything got is Isla legal in New Jersey. Yeah, you've got the Isle of Wight for speed limits, and you've got Weehawken for duels. <laughs> Perfect. All right. <laughs> Actually, number two, also pretty quick. Hamilton arrived with his crew, Nathaniel Pendleton. He's got another friend. Awesome. And a doctor that he knew. Sick. Awesome. This is deceptively simple for me, actually, because there is an implication here of Burr saying Hamilton arrived with a crew, whereas I didn't. I just came on my own. There is, like, you can, you have to work for it, but there's the implication of, like, Hamilton brought the, like, Hamilton was trying to control this whole thing. Well, this Why wasn't I? This is the past. This is the past tense. Him explaining it, so he would observe it like that, like because he's, he's yeah. explaining right now why he shot him, right? right. So and, I, like, and, and I and I I love that that is tucked into that quick moment again. You're right. I should have I should have picked that up because that it says what he was thinking at the time. Like, yeah, it's a it, crew. It's intimidating. It's it's aggressive. Like he came with yeah. a crew. Like this isn't a yeah. The gotcha. the, ef the efficiency of Lynn's writing, right? fascinating pickup i did not pick that up i completely agree that's that's awesome now here we get very now we're getting to the real deep shit about why burr shoots hamilton number three i watched hamilton examine the terrain i wish i could tell you what was happening in his brain this man has poisoned my political pursuits most disputes die and no one shoots so pretty clear here at least I think we can still track, like, we're on it. This is, okay, we, we still get it. Like, he, the main instigating point of this was him not going for you and going for Jefferson instead in the presidential race with the delegates. And then Hamilton, whether it's kind of my version of the interpretation or your version, they're, they're almost exactly similar, uh, was a little bit highfalutin and funny and whatever and just kind of taking the piss out of Burr. 
with his list of shit that he did and just kind of going, yeah, 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 I fucked you up, whatever, cool. Right, and then this is how the duel started. So this is still making sense, but the analogy... You really get the sense of Burr kind of standing, ready to do what he's going to do, like talking himself into it and just like looking at Hamilton like, yeah, the motherfucker's walking around. I watched him look at the terrain. Like, I, I just, it's interesting because of course he is. Of course, Hamilton's, I watched him examine the terrain. It's a fucking duel, Burr. Like, of course, he's going to look around. Like, it's such a wit. Like, I love this because it's, you can imagine someone who's a, like, if I knew I was going to a field to shoot the other person or they were going to shoot me. Right, so I had to build myself up to that moment to have the confidence, the poise, the composure to not fuck it up, so I'm not the one who gets shot. I would be like analyzing, like, yeah, yeah, you put that left foot in front of that white foot, right foot. When I shoot you, there's no more foot moving for you, okay? But like, I have that whole. I love this because to me, it, it's perfect to how someone would act right before they're trying to talk themselves into shooting somebody. And it's also a really decent preamble for what we get later. He is comparing himself to Hamilton's soldiering skills, and this is where we we first get it. Like I, I detect a bit of envy here. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the whole point of this. Is like, like there's part of him that's poison his political pursuits, but it's also actually a definite actual jealousy, mm-hmm. right? For. For not everything, but at least part of what Hamilton's achieved, his station, where he got to, um, a lot of the, like, if you go back to nonstop, like, they became lawyers at the same time, right? There's all these moments for Burr where him and Hamilton kind of started something at the same time, and Hamilton ended up getting more out of it than he did, at least perception-wise. I would argue yeah. that Burr's the fucking vice president right now, and that's not a terrible play. Like, <laughs> I would argue that Burr isn't actually that hard done by. And that he's kind of just in his own head. But for him, he's perceiving it this way. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I want to discuss the end of this stanza. And I probably could for about a half an hour. But yeah. I want to I keep it to, to maybe a couple minutes, you know, right. because we got a lot to get through. But also, I, I know us both. Um, <laughs> most disputes die... And no one shoots. At the at the end of this section here, it is obvious that if we are referencing Ten Duel, which we are, musically and thematically, we are very much referencing Ten Duel Commandments. I get that. But because this line follows what we just discussed, Burr's analysis of Hamilton. Burr's potential envy of Hamilton. Burr's hatred, right? After that section, we reprise, most disputes die and no one shoots. You can make the argument that that was where pursuits rhymes with, so that's where it has to go. But I, <laughs> when, I when I'm diving deep, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, follow us on Twitter. When I'm looking at this, I am seeing these, what Burr is saying here, Burr watching Hamilton examine the terrain, Burr wishing he could tell you what is happening in Hamilton's brain. In that line, what we get, what we get in that line is Burr mirroring Hamilton saying, I will never understand you. 
Burr in this yes. line is saying he does not understand Hamilton. And in addition to Ham to not understanding Hamilton, uh, he also reminds us that he believes Hamilton poisoned his political pursuits. And then we get the ensemble coming in with that line, which I think suggests all of this is the justification. All of this is the explanation of why this is a duel that will not die. Like this dispute is not going to be handled by negotiation. I think this is doubling down on the fact that the die is cast and this is going to happen. And I feel like when we're first introduced with this line, uh, introduced to this line, drop my phone. When we're first introduced to this line in 10 dual commandments, we're not cutting that out because as we all know, you cannot edit audio. Um, <laughs> when we're first introduced to this line in 10 dual commandments, uh, it's a hopeful thought. We're given the protocol of the era. Some disputes can die, and you don't have to actually have the duel. It's reprised here in almost like a mocking way. At this point in the show, when we hear most disputes die and no one shoots again, and we've already heard Burr say, I'm the damn fool who shot him, it's almost teasing. We already wow. know someone's going to die. I, lo I love, love this line here so I, much. I haven't thought about it too much before. I've always just assumed it's like, the, like there's two things that I always thought about. It's the ensemble kind of, remind, the, the purpose of it is A, it rhymes. We talked, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes, it yeah. goes where pursuits go, so awesome. Yeah, it goes where pursuits go, yeah. Um, Simple. It's a good reminder, right? Because I think we need this reminder here, because so far we've seen three duels where... Or I guess two up until this point, but we know someone's getting shot in this one. We've seen three duels, and we've seen three people get shot. Right? And so we're at 100% shoot a person in a duel rate for this musical. So we need to be reminded <laughs> that most our, disputes... Our, our duel shoot ratio at this point, our KD is 100%. Right, absolutely. And so we need yeah. to be reminded at this point as the audience that this is actually uncommon. Because if mm -hmm. you just watch the musical, you would assume every argument ends with one of the two people being shot. Because that's what happens right. in the musical. So it's a good reminder that this is not necessary or normal. Or common. Maybe normal is not the right word. This is A, not necessary. This can end in a different way if they would just choose to do it that way. But B, most disputes die. Like, most things don't get to this point. This is ridiculous. Like, what are we yeah. doing? Yeah, I, I just, like, there are so many... We have talked about this so much. We have talked about how if, if, you, if you take the time you can unpack so much from some of what would seem on the surface like some of Lin-Manuel Miranda's simplest lines of verse. And for me, this is one of them. There is so much in this one line because of the lines it comes after, its place in the show. It's just, oh, so good. Number four. This is where it gets real funky. This is where Burr's explanation, like... To me, I, I wrote in my notes, on the surface, without analysis, his explanations as to why he shot Hamilton make a lot of sense. But they don't really stand up under the slightest bit of scrutiny. 
And some of mm -hmm. them are better justifications than others. And it's obviously the sum total of all these justifications that arrives at shooting somebody, right? It's not isolated. There's, there's multiple things that Hamilton is doing that kind of get him going in this moment. And we've already talked about how he's probably pretty tempted to shoot him anyway before this. So he's not exactly looking for ways out of the situation. Um, Hamilton drew first position, looking to the world like a man on a mission. I just want to do those first two lines first. The soldier with the yeah, marksman. Sure. I have some gripes about the marksman ability part, but we'll hit that in a second. So Hamilton draws first position. The way Burr says this, I kind of get the sense, like, of course he did. Of course I'm second place here. Of course he drew first position because he's Alexander fucking Hamilton and he always draws first position. Like I just, I know that's maybe not what the line is trying to say, but I've always interpreted it that way and why he includes it, right? Because surely drawing first position is not a, a, an additional reason to shoot somebody because it's a 50, like you either draw it or you don't, right? I don't yeah. imagine most duels are like, oh, he drew first position. Now I'm definitely going to shoot him. Right, but here it's part of the justification. So I've ever found like, of course he did, of course he drew first position, but also mm -hmm. looking to the world like a man on the who is the world, Burr? Like you and Hamilton. Hamilton can't see himself, so you, the two seconds, and the doctor. There are four people here. Plus, if you're assuming Hamilton has a crew, like what did he bring? A dozen people? Like come on, like looking to the world like a like this is where Burr is. It just kind of falls apart. Like no one else is here to see this, Burr. I know, like, what are you doing? The whole point of this duel, the reason why you've rode to Weehawken is so no one will fucking see you. We are here to see it, Bradley. We are. You and you and me. I am here to see it. You are here to see it. Then what we... I would say is, I don't know if Hamilton looks like a man on a mission. He looks like someone who's going to be at a duel. Like, he looks like a normal dude. Like, he's kind of walking and looking. Like, if I'm, if that's the case, then well, I still don't agree with Burr here because I don't get the sense from Hamilton that he's particularly more vengeful or murdery today than what we've seen him in, uh, in other situations. What's the deal with walking around a field? Why right, is it so bad? Right, absolutely. What's wrong with Looking to the... He's at a duel, Burr. You challenged him to a duel. Of course he's going to be focused, you idiot. Ugh. So what I would offer to you, my Hamilton counseling for you, is that we have drawn a clear line between character Burr and narrator Burr. And you know, and you pay attention to Burr going through the fourth wall. And he's advocating for his own case here. Terribly. He's, well, yeah, terribly, sure. <laughs> but he's, you know, it, maybe, maybe he's not such a good lawyer. Maybe he's not a better lawyer than Hamilton. We don't know. Yeah. But the thing is, uh, Hamilton drew first position. I absolutely agree with you. That is, that is envy. That is Burr saying, of course he did. He's first in everything. Fuck him. Like, he's definitely saying that. Because that is narrator Burr choosing to relay that to us, the audience. So I'm 100% with you there. Looking to the world like a man on a mission, that is Burr's refusal to admit that he's the one that came there with the mission of killing him in the first place. He's refusing to accept that. And yes. he's wondering, is Ham did Hamilton come here to murder me. Am I alleviated of all guilt? He's on a mission. I'm just here for a duel. 
I'm, you know what? <laughs> I didn't start this. I didn't start this. I'm just following the social protocol. I'm, a, I am a gentleman. Right. What, if the, Ham, what if Hamilton went for Jefferson, not because of the whole, I don't have any policy things, but because he wanted to shoot me in the head. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all possible here. I really do. He's going that's full a, conspiracy theorist. And you never go full conspiracy. <laughs> never do yeah. it. You'll this end is, up taking this, horse paste or something. Yeah, no, don't, this is our first, uh, this is our Alex Jones Burr moment right here. Right, yeah, not good. <laughs> don't do that. Not good. Don't do not do that. No. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. All right, so, so you have a problem with Soldier with a Marksman ability, I, which I'm very curious about. Not... Not the line. I understand its inclusion, its justification. I understand why Burr says it as a justification for killing Hamilton. I'm just mm-hmm. further analyzing that this is a terrible justification. First off, we are not shown anything in this musical to make any kind of um, decision on who is a good marksman and who isn't. Like we have, we are not given anything. And then so that shows us that Burr is worse than Hamilton or Hamilton's worse than Burr or these are equal marksmen or what the quality of a marksman is or how faulty the guns are. Like, like we're, it's all oh, based, okay. It's yeah, all based on okay. char- characters will tell us this. Like Burr is telling yeah. us Hamilton's a good marksman, but I don't know that. Like, that could be completely false. Like the one thing Hamilton did was charge a thing with the bullets out of his gun. That was the one thing he did is take the bullets out of his fucking gun. Does that scream confidence in shooting to you? Right? Like, obviously it was for another reason, but like, we don't know as the audience for sure, who is the better marksman here. It's all conjecture and applying real life knowledge to this. The pistols are bullshit. They're fucking terrible. So like, it doesn't actually, they matter are, that much. they doesn't are. actually matter that much. Cause you get in like six feet left and hit the dude in the right eyeball. Like it's whatever. <laughs> it's whatever. So I'm getting right. fired up. I haven't so, even got to my point yet. No, no, I haven't even got to my point yet. Sorry. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with you on. I'm gonna go with you on the show has not. Okay, I'm gonna go with you on the show has not illustrated to us an objective comparison as to who is better or worse. But I will say I feel like the show does a pretty good job of attempting to explain to us Hamilton is a very good soldier. I know you stole British cannons when you were still downtown. And he did take the redoubts at Yorktown. And he is Washington's right-hand man. And I know, and the show does this for us, it does remind us that his role is mostly secretarial, and he hates it, and he wants to be back on the front lines. But if he was shit with his pistol, would he want to be back on the front lines? Right. Now, I'm not, I'm not where, saying that. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Because I really do, I really want you to understand that I, I really do meet you halfway here, because... I really do think that at least 43% of what you're saying is perfectly valid. What it hasn't done, like it hasn't, it hasn't shown us up to this point that Burr is worse than Hamilton because he was a Lieutenant Colonel. He achieved rank. He did. We call him out by rank in the show. And so, yeah, it does kind of like, I, I can see how you can bump on it a little bit. Um, my my I, I, I'm gonna get to like the main point as to why this bothers me but in my head this is 
with my knowledge from the show, I can believe that this is within a margin of error, considering the pistols. The, the next thing that kind of bugs me about this line is justification, is it assumes, it assumes that Hamilton has been keeping up his skill. Right, it assumes that Hamilton goes to like a shooting club on Sundays and keeps up with his marksman. Like, when was the last time Hamilton fired a weapon to practice his? Like, when you're a soldier, you're doing it all the time. I don't know about you, but if you run a marathon and then don't run again for 30 years, when you try and run a marathon, you can still do the basic function. You can put your left foot in front of your right foot and back again, and you can run for a little bit, but it takes training and, and skill and repetition and consistency to keep yourself at a high level so i also do not believe from what we've been shown in the musical that burr has any reason to think hamilton is still at the same level of marksmanship that he was when he was a soldier right it's assuming a lot it's assuming a lot about hamilton keeping up his skill which is something you have to do. Like, it's not like Hamilton goes from being able to shoot accurately to not knowing how to use a gun, but there is a disparity there that puts it within the margin of error for me that Hamilton hasn't been... Like, I don't know that. I have no idea. Okay, all right, all right. So, counterpoint, though. If <laughs> Counterpoint, if during the revolution, Hamilton was a crack shot and Burr was absolute garbo to begin with. So now it's years later... So Hamilton might be mediocre, and now Burr <laughs> might be worse than absolute garbo. Imagine Burr holding the gun the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the duel starts and Burr just throws it. Right. So my my <laughs> overarching point, this could have been 30 seconds. This is why let's dive I know, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My overarching point is that for me, this is within the margin of error. A little bit better, a little bit worse. I don't know how to... I don't have any particular thing to go on to really decipher this to have a definitive better shooter here to the point where it's not within the margin of error anymore, which to me makes it a bad justification. Like, to me, to me, that's what makes... To him, it's a good one, but for me, it's a bad one because I can't... I can't pull this together and try and figure this out. I don't think that we're intended to believe it's a perfectly accurate justification because we have explored Burr as an unreliable narrator already. I don't think that all of a sudden he becomes reliably accurate. Yeah. I, I, it, it works. It's effective. I, I, the line just... I just want to like reach through the screen at Burr and go, what the fuck? Fear, man. It's a powerful drug. Yeah, it but also... Like, but yeah, like you gotta shoot or be shot. Like you gotta step up. So I understand why he's doing all this. What's what's the what's the next one here? Um, five. five. Fascinating. Now I didn't know this at the time. Clearly putting us in the past tense. Just in case you are wondering what the trigger is. This is the second trigger here. Um, but we were near the same spot, and then Hamilton jumps in. They say different lines here. Your son died versus my son died. But I like this that they added. Um, Hamilton's line here because it adds to Burr's like right like he he didn't know this so this like it's such a weird this is where the narration gets messy so he is saying that after the duel it wasn't until afterwards that he found out mm -hmm. that this is where Philip died or near where Philip died so that this couldn't possibly have been part of any kind of justification before that 
because I didn't know it. Like it could not have been part of Burr's calculation at all because he didn't know it at the time. And yet with Burr's narration, they give Hamilton the line where my, like where my son died as if it mm-hmm. could have been part of his justification as if it is part of his justification, which is fascinating. Cause he's on one hand saying that he didn't know about this till after, but on the other hand, giving, assuming like the narrator is the one that's giving out the like he's like Hamilton is he's showing Hamilton in a way that he wants you to see Hamilton right like Hamilton delivering this line as if he did know it at the time again another terrible justification but the the timelines here are fascinating to try and like put this red string on the pin and tack it to the wall and (laughs) try and figure this out because that line from Hamilton is fascinating insofar as it adds a little bit of justification that couldn't possibly be true. Like, Burr's kind of making it up here to add more to his game, like to add more to his case. He's kind of fudging the numbers a bit to add more to his case. But he's also excusing himself a bit because imagine if imagine if he admitted that he knew that and he intentionally murdered Hamilton near where his son died. That would be Burr being an absolute monster, right? Um, but also... Come on. Weehawken? It's not that big. If you if you go to if you go to Weehawken, you're gonna be near where it, this is where everybody goes to duel. Okay? This is where everyone goes. Weehawken's actually a graveyard. It's like, come on. Like, that's <laughs> it. Like if you go across the river, you're gonna be close to where duels have happened. I'm sorry. Go, this... If you go at nighttime, the ghosts will fuck you up. Yeah, I mean, seriously, <laughs> this is like. He also picked Weehawken. That was him. Yeah, I mean, well, like, I mean, we, I think. Weehawken, Don is his. Right, I'm not saying there's another choice, but within the musical, we know that he said it first. Yeah. Now, Hamilton would have picked a different place, but that he chose Weehawken. That was him. Yeah, I just, this is, this is so silly. We all know, we all know that these are, these are the dueling grounds. It's like. It's like going, uh, you know, it's like standing next to the litter box and being like, this is where my cat peed. Like, I don't like. <laughs> uh, that's so much better. In my head, I was going to be like, it's like going to a demolition derby and then getting your car wrecked and being like, oh, yeah. this is where the other guy's car got wrecked. Like, of course, you're at the fucking car wrecking show. Right. Okay. I like the cat pee one better, but we're on the same page. Correct. I, that's oh, how I feel me. about this, too. That's how I feel about this too. It's yeah, it's a it's a very interesting moment. Like and it is it is a nice injection of drama here and a reminder of the agony that uh the Hamiltons have lived with. But on the surface, I'm kind of like we've spent so much time making sure everyone understands that Weehawken is basically Diehawken. I don't understand why right. why this is a thing. Number six. Now we're moving into where I, what I'm going to call the, the obscenely eye-rolly justifications. All those other ones, like it's taken a minute to pull them apart. I think they're all bad justifications. But now we're getting into some real dumb shit, at least from my point of view. He examined his gun with such rigor, I watched as he methodically fiddled with the trigger. In my head, I'm going, Burr, he's at a duel. He's going to make sure his gun works. Like, what? Every single person that goes to a duel, I'm sure, does a quick little gun inspection. 
Like, I would be too. If my options here were shot or be shot, I would be inspecting the fuck out of my gun. I would have the magnifying glasses out. I would have the Q-tips in the barrel cleaning that shit out. I'd have, I may, I'd pour the powder in to make, make sure I see the powder go in properly, right? Like, I would be inspecting the shit out of it. So using this as an additional justification to murder, I'm like, oh, he was checking out his weapon. Like, yeah, you invited him to a duel, Burr. He's at a duel. If he was in, if you guys were having like a chat in your basement over a glass of brandy and he pulled out his gun and started like <laughs> fucking with the trigger, then you could be like, oh, that's weird. That's weird. This is not gun checking time. Why is his gun out? Right? But at a duel, it's like, it's like being yeah. a NASCAR driver. Like he's a NASCAR driver and he walks by the other NASCAR driver's little uh, airplane hangar thing where they keep the cars. And he's like, and there they are fucking changing the oil. It's like, yeah, it's a race. Of course they're doing Like, What do you mean? They're putting the tires on. Like, well, yeah. So I don't know. I just, this is bullshit. Fuck you, Bert. Like, this is dumb. This is ridiculous. He Sorry. has to I, have I his, some... he has to have as much justification as he can get. My problem with this line is actually, I admittedly annoying. Um, there's no way to methodically fiddle anything unless it's an actual <laughs> fiddle. Like right. the the verb fiddle uh, implies that he was just like playing around with it, and this this is my pro- this is if true if true, very poor gun safety from Alexander Hamilton. If he's just walking <laughs> around just messing with the because you do right. not whether whether your firearm is loaded or not, you do not approach your trigger until you are prepared to fire. And so the and so this for me this line is patently false. I don't believe Alexander Hamilton did this. Well, well now I, we we would do that as a matter of gun safety. Like even in Canada I have a gun license and I've done all the gun safety courses, which in America could be very extreme or not at all, depending on where you are, right? Um <laughs> That's well, true. Like, if you go to a Walmart and te- you live in Georgia, okay? I, I'm not sure where the gun laws are in Georgia. I'm sure they're a little more lax than in Vancouver. <laughs> I tell you what, man. <laughs> I got three guns right here in this Walmart. Who knows when they're going to attack? Anyways, um, fuck, what was I saying? <laughs> no, sorry. I, so now it's a matter of. I like, think what you were doing was you were making fun of the proud and sovereign state of Georgia. I think that's what you were saying. Possibly. I don't know. I wasn't intentionally doing it. If you're Georgian and listening to this and took offense, I apologize. I didn't mean to. But also, if you bring three guns to a Walmart, nah, I, I don't know if I'm hip with that. Anyways, in Let's Dive Deep podcast does not endorse uh, right. any kind of unsafe gun behavior. Right. Absolutely. So in 2021, we would consider this a matter of gun safety like never i do yeah never touch the trigger unless you're prepared to fire never point the gun at a thing you're not gonna fire at like it's in the air right in a holster in the air but you're pointing it somewhere it's got to be where you intend to fire like all those types of rules in hamilton's day you wouldn't want to fuck with the trigger because you just spent half an hour making sure the bullet and the powder and shit are exactly where you needed to shoot you can't which just... still, which still means there's no way to methodically fiddle right, with absolutely. it. That's, no, we're getting to the same point. It's ridiculous to insinuate <laughs> that Hamilton was going around after doing all this work and fucking with his trigger, right? Unless he was just pulling it for fun before he loaded his gun, which also makes no sense. This is bullshit. I hate this. Burr, I think you're lying. There is, 
there is a counter argument to be made if we're if if we really want to really want to 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 start trading pain about it uh there is you said nascar there's going to be a bunch of racing metaphors the rest of the night um there is an argument to be made that like what burr is fe- is fearing here is hamilton is examining all of the mechanisms of his pistol before he loads it he's making sure the reaction time from the pistol to the pan is working properly and he knows that the you know the hammer is actually landing in the pan after he pulls the trigger and he's doing this repeatedly to make sure that his reaction time is is proper um you know playing playing burr's advocate here there is a way to see hamilton doing this as like a cage fighter cracking their knuckles as they enter the ring. It's like Burr perceives this as Hamilton going, yeah, I've got pistols. These are, these are good pistols. And also what's not addressed here, but is implied because it follows the note about Philip. Don't we have to kind of assume that these are the guns that he gave to Philip? Yeah. So not, not only are we, not only are we where Philip died, but these are the pistols that Philip didn't save his own life with. Like these are the pistols that Hamilton effectively killed Philip with. I, I would, I would just, even with all that, I would just go to my first point that like people should be all should be doing this before a duel. Like everyone before a duel should be making sure the shit works properly. Mm-hmm. Right. So even if this is true, this should be normal behavior in a duel. And Burr, in, in, this, in this musical, not in real life, but in this musical, was a second at a duel earlier, will be fully up to speed with pre-duel procedures. Like, should... Probably as a second, it was probably his job, actually, to inspect these pistols for um, what's-his-face in the first act, right? Like, to me, this just seems ridiculous, no matter which way you slice it, that this is a further justification to shoot Hamilton which to me it just seems like like very very uh, like um what's the word i'm looking for um very very uh, smart dual etiquette from from hamilton making mm-hmm. sure your gun works like <laughs> well yeah i mean he is a soldier with a marksman's ability yeah um next up number 7 confession time here's what i got my fellow soldiers will tell you i'm a terrible shot now this one is interesting because this one I believe is true mm-hmm. in a way, but also it's still I still can't really figure out how to attribute this to Burr properly because like as a soldier of rank, right? Like how you just mentioned, but how terrible can your shot possibly? Everything's relative. Like terrible compared to what? And I'm working mm-hmm. in my head within a margin of error because the guns are unreliable. Like this isn't you're mm-hmm. not firing with a precision rifle at a short distance, right? Like right. Yeah. So there's a margin of error here where skill kind of gets thrown out the window and intention, reaction time, you gotta spin around, right? Like you're you're facing back to back and you are spinning around to fire. Like all of there's a bunch of X factors here aside from your ability that to me creates a margin of error. Right? Where your pure marksmanship is not the only thing that contributes to whether you shoot or get shot. 
And so I don't know how to attribute this to a margin of error because I find it hard to believe that burst shot is so actively terrible because he wouldn't duel that. Like if he was that bad, he wouldn't challenge people to duels, right? Burr has to, on some level, believe that he's going to win here. Like, I don't give the sense that Burr is cool with death here, especially when you get to the not make an orphan of my daughter part, which I have problems with, right? But like, this is not a situation where Burr's like, I will shoot him or die, but I'm happy either way. Like Burr has to believe before he challenges Hamilton to this duel that he has a chance of winning. And if his marksmanship was that terrible, then he wouldn't challenge people to duels. That'd be ridiculous. Specifically people he thinks are good marksmen. Like, why would you do... Like, there's no way someone who's actually a terrible marksman and knows that because people keep fucking telling him would then go and find the best marksman he knows and be like, hey, want to shoot at each other for a little bit? Like, that, to me, there's just something here where I can't quite give Burr this credit. Like, is it terrible relative to soldiers? Maybe. If he's in a high rank... Is it terrible relative to all the other soldiers at his rank, which would all be good shooters? Like, is it just terrible comparatively to great, so you're just good? Or is it, like, terrible? Like, I don't, I don't know what the relativity here is. I'm just, I'm struggling to give this, this is the line where I think you can give Burr the most credit. But to me, uh -huh. there's still too many things where I'm like, specifically, he started this duel, and someone who is terrible at shooting would not go to someone who is amazing at shooting and be like, hey, let's shoot at each other. Like, to me, there's just... It, to me, it's still within the margin of error. So I'm not giving Burr the credit for this line. Although I will say it's close. I have to think about it. I give Burr all the credit for this line. I have, <laughs> I've, I, I do, I do. Fuck. I've, I, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, okay. I believe, I, I, I believe that everything that's said here is true because we explicitly include it in the session or the section uh, labeled confession time, right? Going back to my shot, uh, confess all your sins, tell them where you've been, pray that hell or heaven lets you in. Um, but also, this is Burr confessing to the audience, and he's saying, I'm a terrible shot. As to the officer thing, there's a lot of other ways to achieve officer status than being a good soldier. And I think Burr was a competent soldier. But if you look at the skill set of what it takes to be a, a good soldier in the revolutionary revolutionary army, you could be a tactician. You could also just be loyal. You could be a number of things. And maybe your, maybe your accuracy level is a little bit low. You know, it's like when you're building your fallout character, maybe your marksmanship is a <laughs> right. little bit, a little bit lower. Intelligence up all the way. Marksmanship. Uh-huh. Yeah, Down. Yeah. 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 Now, when when he's saying he's a terrible shot, as to the why did he why does he challenge Hamilton to the duel? My interpretation is that he is saying, "I am so right in this challenge. I am so justified. Hamilton was such a tool our entire professional life. I am willing to risk it." Because I stand by my conviction in this moment alone. Now, no. it's, it, and it's, it, it's possible that you can say, this is the moment that he stands in his conviction the most. Killing Hamilton is the moment in which he stands by what Hamilton always wanted him to do the fucking most. I, the one thing I haven't considered, and it's not mentioned in the musical at all, so I, I'm not going to consider it, but one thing I haven't quite considered in my own calculation of why a someone who's who's self 
declaring that he's a terrible shot going against someone he is self-declared as an amazing shot in a duel is i've forgotten that a lot of these people not hamilton maybe not burr like we're just not sure really um but there's probably lots of like god's divine justice right like i'm doing this duel god will save me regardless mm -hmm. of right like if i'm correct here god will not let me die like i think i'm missing this there is a probably a i don't actually know that for burr but there might be a religious component that would lead people to do this as well believing that like, if they're correct in their challenge, then the good yeah. Lord above will not let them. I don't think that's what bursts. I'm just saying that out loud because I, I just want to correct my own justification. I'm leaving out a pretty big reason why I believe people would duel other people of a higher skill. Because I, I oh, do yeah. believe a lot of people this time would have believed that God would save them. I mean, that's that's a thing today. You know, we we don't have to get we don't have to get into it too deeply, but you know, there, uh, God's protection is a very very powerful force, right? You you still have people that that do not need medicine because God will deliver them, right? You know, you you don't need the vaccine because God will protect you, right? So if you're if you're going into a duel with the armor of God, it does not matter how good the other guy is. Like there's, you know, that that can be a powerful force. Now, at this point in Hamilton's life, he's rejoined a kind of his faith. Uh Burr, my understanding is he was always a religious individual, but uh and I I think a Catholic, but I can't remember. Uh, it's not in the but musical, I, you know, regardless. <laughs> but it's not in the show, right? So it's yeah. kind of it's it's hard to include that in the calculus because it's not it's not between page one and three hundred or whatever, you know. Number eight, your last chance to negotiate. Send in your seconds. See if they can set the record straight. We know how this goes. They don't. Yep. Mm -mm. Nope. They I, mean, don't. I, I like how they still go through the like as a as a matter of honor and following the rules they still go through it like they still send their seconds in i'm sure their seconds are like yeah we're not gonna figure this out are we and like no nah, right. i want to have a pint yeah. like sure and they just sit there for half an hour like just shooting the shit and then going back and be like oh we, we just couldn't figure it out sorry guys you're gonna have to duel yeah but they remind us the audience that under the norms of the day this is the way it should be like we should have the opportunity to set it straight we should have the opportunity to stop this they do but like the again, second on the stage the seconds go into the center I, yeah. i'm just imagining my head cam like a half hour like picnic lunch in the middle like not even trying like, it's not even worth trying there's like ah this is ridiculous let's have a let's have a beer let's have a sandwich i love that idea the seconds going into the middle <laughs> and talking and like they're holding the pistols and like so what do you bring roast right. beef and swiss awesome uh, yeah, cool. yeah that's like, that sounds delicious yeah but then going, but then the, going back and being like oh hamilton we we tried so hard and we just could yeah. not figure it out yeah, is that is that yellow mustard or spicy brown? Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, yeah. All right, New York's <laughs> finest spicy brown. No, I, we came into Weehawken early this morning so I could go to Jesse's shop down the road. Jesse, I love that. You know, I'm betrothed to his daughter. She's she's lovely. <laughs> right, absolutely. She's lovely. Makes the best Dijon in New Jersey. <laughs> All right, so negotiation doesn't happen. Shocker! I don't think anyone in the audience is surprised. They barely even this moment actually happens in like one second before they go. Then it. I, I want to talk about the lighting a lot after. I just want to get through all the points first so it's yeah. like kind of thematically consistent. Um, 
But um, Burr's... <laughs> I love this. They won't teach you this in their classes. So now Burr's like not only fourth wall breaking, but like past his own lifetime of under. Like he is in 2021, like looking at the audience and being like, yo, those classes you take, they're bullshit, which I think is really funny. Um, and also brings up, like, I don't want to get into it here, but like when we talk about it later in the musical, like history does obliterate a little bit. Like what we're taught in our classes is not really how how things went. Just this, just this month, um, they discovered some, like, Viking ruins in Nova Scotia or Newfoundland, somewhere very eastern Canada, from, like, 1215. And I went, oh, shucks. That sucks for that Christopher Columbus guy who kept saying he discovered this area. That's a rough blow to that narrative that I was taught in school. And so, like, it, it, it's kind of cool here that this, like, they won't teach you this in their classes. I was like, yeah, you're right. You're probably right. There's, I, I don't know if Burr's or Hamilton's glasses situation is at the level that I really care about whether or not they mention it, right? Like, part of me is like, yeah, Burr, of course they don't teach us this in our classes. The whole premise of this musical is that no one knows who Alexander Hamilton is because, like... <laughs> 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 like right, so... It's like, dude, the, the musical you're in, of course they haven't mentioned his glasses. They don't even mention him. This musical, in fact, is the mentioning of Hamilton. Like, I just like going through this line because it's so funny to me. The more you break it down, the funnier it becomes. So they're not teaching me in my, like, I did not learn about Hamilton and his glasses in my uh, curriculum, which is Can true. All... Burr is correct. Can we also talk about how... How awfully similar Burr's But Look It Up is someone <laughs> on YouTube going, do your own research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, at, I swear, I swear, you didn't see, when I shot him, I was I was there and you weren't there and he had glasses on. And so, anyways, so <laughs> look it up. Hamilton was wearing his glasses. Why? This is where I put in my notes. Why? Where is that note? Once I want to get it perfect. Why could Hamilton possibly be wearing his glasses? Three question marks. I don't know, in all caps. So he can fucking see, you Nimrod? Like, what on earth? Why is Hamilton wearing his glasses? He's at a duel. He wants to see where he's shooting. This is, again, normal dueling procedure. I'm sure people who need to wear glasses to see things at long distances, right, would wear their glasses at a duel. I'm sure Hamilton is not the only one who does this. Right? Why, if not to take... So your your assumption is he's either going to take deadly aim or show up blind. Those are his two options. There's no other way for this to go down. There's no other reason he might just want to see. Right? But also, why wasn't this brought up when he was like... Like, Hamilton drew first position, and thank God he had his glasses on so he could see where the good spot was. Right? Like, there are other points before this where Hamilton's glasses would have played a factor. So, I don't know. It's all ridiculous. I hate this. I don't hate this. It's awesome for the musical. But it's like, what a dumb state. I, the more I break this down, the funnier it becomes to me. This is so dumb. It's important to remember that a big part of the version we Bur we get of Burr in this show, a big part of the version of Burr we get in this show, is that he is a lawyer. And he is pleading his case to us, the audience, uh, absolutely. the jury. I'm just, for the audience, I'm memeing this to the funniest level because to me, it's hilarious that this is how he justifies. Like, this is where he's at. That the, his justification is so thin that this is, he was wearing his glasses, guys. Guys, is there any reason, any of you, you all wear glasses? Why do you do that? It's like, Burr, so we could see shit. Oh, okay, fair enough. Like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it really, I, 
I agree with you. It is a thing. But again, we've got the time to sit here and talk about it. In the moment, it plays. Like, Leslie Odom Jr.'s delivery here is brilliant. Like, it really does play for me. To give him credit, to give Burr credit, we'll talk about Leslie Odom as well. To give Burr credit, though, I can see how if Hamilton's intention was to not shoot, because this is all in the past tense, so Hamilton knows, or Burr knows Hamilton did not shoot him. Hamilton could have done more, such as taking off his glasses, to indicate to Burr that he was going to fire in the sky. Right? Like, Hamilton goes up and aims his pistol at the sky at the last moment, but gives every indication that he's going to duel. Right? So I can see from Burr's point of view, he's kind of saying, look, if the guy was going to aim at the sky, he could have taken off his glasses and I would have, or I might have gotten the hint. So from that point of view, I understand it. But from the point of view, from the point of view of like, why was he wearing his glasses if not to take deadly aim? There's a huge gap there where it could just be to see because he needs glasses to see. And we see him wear his glasses in other situations. Like it's not just, we've never not, it's not like a surprise. Like, oh shit, Hamilton's got glasses. Like he wears them all the time. Like it's not the first time we've seen them. So I'll give her a little bit of credit for this one, but not a whole lot. But you're making the defense attorney's argument. What we're seeing here is Burr as prosecutor. He is saying, my actions were inevitable because of what Hamilton did to me. Burr is saying, Hamilton was the guilty one. He instigated, he increased, and he made this inevitable. And by golly, he was crystal clear in the vision department the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> moisturize with ham eyes <laughs> right. I had, right. and he shaved his beard to indicate that he wanted to look good for this moment of triumph when he shot me in the face they won't teach you this in your classes but he took off all of his bracelets so he could raise <laughs> his pistol faster, faster right? absolutely <laughs> oh god okay if you're listening to this and being like, why am I listening to these two? This isn't real analysis. First off, yeah, it is. And second, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's move on. I think we talked about the glass. I think we've talked about the glasses. This is what happens when you give old Bradley a beer before he records Hamilton. Anyways, um, what are, where are we at next? Um, number, number nine. Number nine. Oh, no, no. Sorry. Sorry. There's more to this. Um, why, if not to take oh, deadly yeah, aim? Oh, yeah, this whole this thing. Is, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, it's him or me. The world will never be the same. Laying out the stakes. I actually give Burr full credit for this line. Like, if he... You need to convince your... Like, at this point, number nine or number eight, you're still... number Whatever number this is, number eight. Right? Like, at number eight, like, these countdowns happen fast. You gotta, you, you gotta justify to yourself to shoot this guy. Like, regardless of how dumb your justification is before, you're at number eight. You gotta find your reason. Find your courage. You know, summon all the courage you require because this is going to go down, right? And so I, I give him a little bit of credit for, like, it's him or me, the world will never be the same, which which is, like, the whole premise. Like, the whole premise of this duel is, like, one of them will die and the other will not. So this is fine. Um, this part, interesting to me, and I think a lot of it is just because the line sounds kind of nice and rhymes a little bit easier and just flow is better um, i had only one thought before the slaughter this man will not make an orphan of my daughter now the sentiment i fully agree with 
right? Like, I don't want this man to shoot me because I will not be there for my daughter. That makes sense. But the, to choose the word orphan, I find interesting. Because as an orphan himself, dueling against another orphan, surely Burr would understand the specific plight of orphans. And in this moment, I would like to point out that Burr's daughter is like 23 and married. Now, we don't know that in this musical. But his daughter will be told, like, it, not that that makes it, like, not that that changes the justification. I, I, I agree that no matter what age your kid is, not wanting to die so you can be around for them makes a lot of sense, especially two seconds before you're about to duel somebody. But to choose the word orphan, I was like, that's a little intense for me. Because she's specifically not an orphan. Right? Like, like that's, mm -hmm. that's not what's happening here. And that's not the same type of thing that you faced as an mm -hmm. orphan. Mm -hmm. And that's not the type of, mm -hmm. like, like, Burr would have a firm understanding about exactly what it means to be a true orphan. Same with Hamilton. He knows, like, Hamilton's plight as well. First friend, my enemy, right? Like, they were close at some point. And so... To me, to choose the word used the word orphan here is like really taking what would already have just been a good justification, one of the only ones, and just kind of, I don't know, there's something dirty about it to me. There's something like, just a little bit like, like, ooh, you're a bit of an asshole. Because Hamilton's not here to make an orphan. You challenge him to this duel. Hamilton's intention is to not make an orphan of your daughter, mm -hmm. right? First off, Hamilton would know what it feels like Right? Like he just lost his kid in a duel. Like his intention is not to fuck up your kid's life. Right? But also, like, your daughter is like, I can't remember the age. It's like 22 or 23, and she's married. Like, this is not an orphan in the way we think of this is not a six-year-old being left without any parents. This is a full-grown adult human being who is now living her own life separate from her father anyway, which does not change the sentiment a whole lot, but it does change how I feel about the line. I don't know. There's just something kind of dirty about the word orphan that I just don't like Burford using here. Like it really kind of waters down the whole beginning mm -hmm. of the musical where they, him and Hamilton kind of bond over being orphans, knowing specifically how terrible that is to then just throw the word around whenever he wants the justification to shoot somebody instead of just saying what's really happening, which would be a good justification. I know it bothers me. It's kind of like baiting a little bit. It's kind of like writing, writing the headline for clicks instead of like actually talking about the context. Yeah, I have I have two responses. One that I think is fairly sophisticated and one that is very silly. While we eagerly await Connor's responses here, we've been listening to this podcast for about an hour and 15 minutes now, so it's a great time to tell you about our Facebook group and Patreon page. Connor and I have created a Facebook group for all of the Let's Dive Deep fans out there to come and hang out and talk about this podcast, talk to Connor and I about whatever it is you guys want to talk about, where we can post updates on the podcast, when episodes are coming out, you know, what kind of podcasts are next, what the next podcast episode is going to be covering, all of those types of things. There's also a couple of really cool spoiler rules in there so we can post about all of our favorite kind of cultural phenomenons that are going on. I'm a big fan of Foundation right now, and I'd love to talk about it over in that Facebook group. You can do that as well. It's not limited 
limited to just the things that we talk about on this podcast. It's mostly just the place for all of us cool, kind of nerdy, <laughs> anyone who had listened to a three-hour Hamilton podcast, that's who's meant to be over in the Facebook group, and it's a cool place for us to hang out and just enjoy each other's company for a little bit on the internet. That is in the show notes below. The question to get into the Facebook group is, I solemnly swear that I am up to no. You've just got to type in good, and we will get you into that Facebook group, and you are ready to go right away. Let's Dive Deep is a very, very independent podcast created by two kind of very busy people who both have full-time jobs outside of podcasting, and any little bit of support is very, very helpful to us. And so what we've done is we've created a Patreon page where for a few dollars a month, uh, you guys can kind of subscribe over there, and then we have a, a few bonuses for you. We have one tier that has our show notes if you want to see what our show notes are before each episode. All the tiers over on Patreon get early access to all of our podcasting episodes. We have roles where you can be credited as a producer of the show. So there's a lot to check out over there. Feel free to go and check it out if you are loving this podcast and would like to throw a little bit of that support our way. If you don't, that's all good. The podcast will always be free and on the feed and all that kind of stuff. But it's just there if you would like to throw that support our way and get some exclusive content, some bonus content, some early access stuff on the side in exchange for that. Otherwise, I think that's good for the Facebook group and the Patreon. Let's hop back in to Hamilton. Um, The first one, the smart one, uh, just to get that out of the way, um, I think that I think that there is the definition of the word orphan, and then there is the assumed implication of the word orphan. And you know, if you're if you're married for if you're uh. If you're a female identifying person and you have a spouse and they pass away and you've been married for 20 years, you are a widow, right? I think I think that's the way that works or a widower. I for, you know, you're a wi- the that, woman is a widow. The woman is a widow, right? Yeah. And if you're a woman that's been married for a day and your partner passes away, you're a widow, right? Correct. You are by definition a widow, whether it's 20 years or one year. So the definition of orphan is you are the product of parents and your parents be gone. Right. So but that's you, not how anyone uses the word orphan. Burr is using that. It in- th- that's why I mean, there's the definition and there's the implication. You, when you, when what you're talking about, the, the implication of the word orphan, you're talking Oliver Twist. You're talking, uh, uh, the uh, the artful dodger. You're talking little orphan Annie. What we understand orphans to be, and frankly, you're not wrong. You're talking the implication of the way orphan has been used in this musical itself. I'm with you. I'm there. <laughs> but at the same time, Burr, like Burr, doesn't want his daughter to be fatherless, and uh if she's fatherless she's an orphan she is by definition an orphan and so he believes that he needs to sustain himself so that he can continue to provide for her throughout the rest of his life as long as he's alive he's going to try to provide for her she will get his estate she will get whatever he can give her he wants to remain around 
to provide for her. I think that's what he's getting at there. Oh, yes. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. That That's the part where like it makes perfect sense why he would not want to die and not be around for his daughter. Right. I, I, so I, I don't I don't bump on him using the word orphan there because I I'm going I'm going to it from a definitive POV. But I also respect that you're coming at it from an implicative POV. You're saying what the word connotes is what you respond to. I'm responding to what the word is. So that's so I like I accept it, but I completely understand where you don't. I All think, that being yeah, go ahead. I yeah, think so sorry. that for me, so I've looked this up on three different dictionary websites while you were talking, and two oh, yeah? of them, two of them imply like a Merriam-Webster, the first definition, a child deprived, deprived by death. Of, like even within the oh, dictionary, really? even within the dictionary, people they can't really it agree includes on, the word child. Okay, right? like, like, <laughs> even within different dictionary companies, some of them don't. You were right. Some of them are just like a person without parents. Right, but even within the different dictionaries, they can't really agree on whether it's a child, specifically a child or not. But I think part of it is that just through my personal experience with life, like words matter, but far more often how we use them and the context around mm. them matters so much more. Just in my lifetime, there's a lot of different words that have changed, not because the definition of the word has changed, but because how we use them has changed. The word queer is the biggest one in my life. When I was four years old, five years old, you were just a happy old person. You'd be like, oh, man's queer. And you'd be like, cool, right? Mm -hmm. And the definition of the word has changed, right? Or not really the definition, but the societal implication has changed. It's now assigned in different ways. And how we use that word, right, has gone from something that could have nothing to do with any kind of LGTB type of thing and just literally meant a person is happy and now could be very insulting. And the word has not changed, right? If, you, if I look up the definitions, I'm sure the definitions in the dictionary have not changed, but the, the context has changed a lot, and that's important. Yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. Like yeah. something like, I'll relate it back to a theme of this musical, immigration. Right? A lot of times when people in various places are thumping on immigrants, they don't like immigrants, they don't want immigrants here, immigrants are taking their job. What they're saying is the word immigrant. What they mean is like brown and black people, right? Mm -hmm. Most Canadians, right, who are very against immigration, right? Wouldn't 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 even blink at like a proper looking English person moving in next door doing a finance job. They wouldn't be like, oh, that immigrant coming in and taking all of our accounting jobs. You know what I mean? Like they don't mean the word. Like the context there is so important because what they're they don't mean immigrants in that way, right? right. They don't mean immigrant in the sense of like what the definition of the word immigrant is. They're taking that word and kind of abusing it to get to make their argument more palatable. And that's what I'm accusing Burr of doing here. He's using the word orphan in a very specific definitive way, much like people use the word immigrant in a very like loophole definitive way. So as to make me sympathize more with his argument when really he is lacking all the context and stuff on how people use the word that makes that word specifically important in this situation. In this case, though, unlike the immigrant thing, his point, it makes perfect sense and is totally valid if he just doesn't use the word orphan and just explains that. Like, I don't want to be gone. Like, I don't know how to write this line, and I'm sure it's written intentionally this way. But like in this case, him using the word orphan, to me, just makes what was a great argument terrible instead of just leaving it as a good argument. I don't know. I hope that made sense, the, the kind of the def definitions of words and how we use them and how that drifts and changes over time and how you got to yeah. keep up because it matters a lot in any one situation. And I'm accusing Burr of 
incorrectly attributing this word to the situation well definitively maybe it's true lacking all the proper context and stuff which is very important all the time not just in this musical but you can only <laughs> put so many words in one line absolutely i'm not I, i'm not like mad this line is in the musical i think it's great that it's here i yeah I, just as like burr is asking us to we are the jury he's asking us to find him not guilty <laughs> and i'm finding and, him and super he, guilty <laughs> But he's he's hoping we have an empathetic response to him saying, I will not make an orphan of my daughter. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, when when I watch the musical in context, when I don't have a half hour to talk about a stanza, it gets to me. His pat I mean, I when he says that, I hear the entirety of Dear Theodosia in my head in the blink of an eye. It just comes, it rushes through. It's such a, a deep, evocative response to me. And it's a reminder, just like the costumes and the costumers that you hate, it's a reminder <laughs> of the parallels between these two guys, right? It's a reminder that they have a legacy of orphanage, which is in and of itself is a contradiction. As these two guys are, they are a walking contradiction between the two of them. And the idea of orphaning his daughter is is so tragic to him. That's why he uses that specific word. I love the inclusion of this word here. It lets <laughs> you know what Burr thinks the stakes are because of... For me, it works definitively, and also because of the implications. But I, I, I'm not disagreeing that I like the word in the musical. My larger point is that it, 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 that specific word makes me more likely to vote, like in this hypothetical trial, definitely guilty. Yeah. Instead of right, like, and that's that's just a personal thing. I'm happy it's here. I'm happy he said it. Like, I'm not mad that it's in the musical. I don't think it should right. be rewritten or anything. I'm just trying to, like, he, he's trying to justify it. And for me, his inclusion of that word does not help his case when otherwise it may have if he had not included it. What I do find a little bit... Oh, what was the point? I, oh, I had a point the whole time you were talking. Fuck. Oh, what was it? I was like, oh, there was something really clever about it that I was going to say. Oh, well. Oh, well. I'm not going to... I'll never get the chance to say it. It's gone. well. Let me let me know if it comes back. But <laughs> whilst whilst you are ruminating, whilst you are attempting to find it, uh, I I will circle back to I had what I thought was a fairly legitimate thought about this line. Oh, and okay, I also I, 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 had... sorry. Can I interrupt? Can I interrupt? Yes, I... sure, of course. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna interrupt my interrupt bell. Okay, I'm in. Um, <laughs> the, the thing I was going to... No, now I've lost it again. You know what? Fuck it. Fuck it. No, we're not going. We're not doing this. You just keep talking. I've lost it. See, you finally integrated the soundboard into this podcast. Oh, and that's no, no, what I've happened. got it. I'm going to say it right now. I'm going to say it right now real quick. I wonder what I would have thought had I not known this about Burr. I can't remember what I thought when I watched it live the first time. Right? Having not known this. Maybe it was very evocative mm-hmm. for me. I just can't disassociate myself from now knowing this about Burr. So what I was trying to say is to to further add credibility to your point, when you're watching the musical and 99% of the people watching this musical would not have the knowledge that his daughter is like 23 and married or whatever the situation is. Right. It probably is very evocative and makes a lot of sense. And you'd have to really try and remember 
Like, wait, Theodosia was kind of like when Philip was there, and now Philip was older, and we saw him, and he died, so Theodosia might be this. But, like, does he have another daughter? Maybe he has another younger daughter. That's not really clear either. We don't right, know. Right, right. Like, because... I, I think if you if you don't know that about Burr, it's probably very emotional and evocative. I just can't separate myself from knowing that, because I know it, and I can't pull it out of my brain to record this podcast. Because what you're bringing to it is your definite... Your your accepted definition of orphan requires that the person involved be a child. Be, that's, that's what you're saying. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Is that correct? Am I understanding you correctly? Yes. Yeah, 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 definitely. I, I'm just, I'm just trying to lend credit. Like, regardless of your definition of the word orphan, I, I think in the moment, if you don't know, if you don't definitively know outside the musical, like you're just a musical watcher and you've heard nothing about Burr otherwise, it, it probably works really well. Right. But if you know that she's 23, you're like, well, if you're 23, then you're not an orphan. You're just an adult with a dead dad. Right. That's different from being an orphan is what, That's what, is what I think I'm hearing. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's not- the, different, the difference between definition and implication. Right. All right. Oh, that was so all of that being said, all of that, however you feel like however you feel orphan should be defined or whatever. Here's my much simpler take on this. (laughs) However you define what an orphan is, you are screaming to us, the audience. You are emphatic about this. I will not make an orphan of my Daughter, don't duel. Right, right. Don't, just don't like, do the duel, dude. Just, <laughs> just don't, uh, don't challenge people <laughs> to duels. I mean, the first, the first step in harm reduction: don't be around harm. Right. Yeah. That's if you don't want to. If you don't want to. Get hit with an axe. Don't stand in front of the the target at an axe throwing facility. Yeah, yeah, right. it's pretty. It's pretty. That's that is actually. I know it's very simple, and on one hand, it it could be interpreted as as rather quite silly. I get it, but the thing is, Burr brought himself to this place and is doing everything to convince us that he didn't. Guilty. <laughs> I'm voting guilty. Are you voting guilty? In this hypothetical crime, do Burr, the whole, the, the sum total of Burr and his arguments, do we find him guilty or not guilty of this hypothetical murder? Knowing full well it's not actually murder because it's within the rules of the duel and this is like kind of fine. But hypothetically, I'm voting guilty. And. We haven't got to why yet, but I actually vote not guilty. What? How on earth? Okay, I can't wait for this. This is this is going to be a four-hour podcast and some of the most quality content we've ever fucking made. We we have not got to it yet. All right, let's keep. And rolling. I and here's the thing, I I do agree that Berg gets us to this place. But I don't agree that Burr is guilty of murder. It, it's a different definition of murder. 
not like guilt, like because because the rules of the duel sanction this. He's not actually guilty of murder, but he's trying to justify. Like later, he's going to regret this choice. He's trying to justify to us why he made the choice. And I'm voting guilty of murder in the sense like guilty. That was an unjustified choice. Not guilty as in like go to jail for like not how we think of. Like I'm. I'm oh. Oh, was I, this situation an unjustif unjustified choice? Yes. Yeah, He's yeah. guilty of that. Right, that's yes. what I'm saying. He's trying to justify to us yes. why he did this. And I'm saying guilty, that reason those reasons are not good enough. Not not like, oh, you're guilty of murder, you're going to jail forever. That's not because the duel allows for this to happen. It's all above board. But in the sense that what he's trying to convince us is that he was justified in shooting Hamilton. And I'm voting guilty. Your reasons don't quite add up to me unjustified that's that's the vote sorry if i was unclear i should not have used the word murder like we talked about <laughs> de de definition and implication yeah it's it's a powerful force right and yeah. like i do think that he's the instigator to getting us here because as we have as we have talked about before we know burr wanted this like he he tried for it right but I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't accept all of his arguments as legitimate. Yeah, that's, that's what we're voting on. <laughs> that's what, okay. Yeah. So we're both, both guilty in that sense. Okay, cool. There's, so, this is going to be a nine hour podcast. There's so much here I want to talk about, about choreography, lighting, all this shit. I think I'm just going to circle back at the very end of this song before we move on to the next one to talk about all of that stuff. So we can just keep strolling on through the story here and see how far we get before it's dark and I'm getting sleepy. Um, <laughs> you you never know, man. It could happen. Um, where are we in the in the notes? Number nine, Burr's rendition of "Look Him in the Eye, Aim No Higher." Summon all the courage you require. Throw the soundtrack out. Throw whoever I saw live out. I'm sure he was great. Leslie Odom Jr. in the Disney Plus version, or the version that you would have seen on Broadway with that cast. Holy fuck! It's amazing. It is it amazing. Is holy, like, it, if we were doing like a best line delivery in the whole musical award, I'm sure Leslie Odom is like, you know, 10 of the top 15 or whatever, like just consistent. But the way he delivers this, because we've heard it from other people before. Hamilton has said it. Philip has said it. And, th and this puts them to shame a little bit. Like the way Leslie Odom sends it with the emotion and the like, what he evokes and like, yeah, I don't know what else to say other than holy fuck. That's my note on Leslie Odom's line delivery. And look at the parallelism between summoning all the courage you require and summoning all the logic you require to convince the audience that you're right. These yeah. things go hand in hand. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. That's yeah. what he's doing. Like He is summoning all like, he's looking at his gun and he's going to shoot me. He's wearing his glasses. He's going to shoot me. I, I have a daughter. I don't want to die. Right, like he, that's what he's doing is he's creating this permission structure. So when that gun goes up, he has everything he needs to pull the trigger before Hamilton gets him. Yeah, and right. let me let me summon everything I have in me that will enable me to actually like yeah. do what I think. Yeah, it's oh god, it's so good. And I, uh, it was maybe last episode. I I said that his version of Burr always seems to me like some kind of caged large cat like a puma or a panther or something yeah. like that Absolutely. and i really like this is this is where he kind of breaks out like i f i feel him breaking the bars of the cage here and this is this is one of those moments 
where you think Leslie Odom Jr. doesn't have another gear, and he reaches his hand down and sh- and shifts yeah. up, and there it, he is. He deserves every Tony he won for all of this. Um, on a funnier note, the only person in the musical that says, look them in the eye, aim no higher, and then actually looks them in the eye and aims no higher. I never caught that. I think he so. Is, I, I'm not right. verifying that. I just, I've just always thought of that. I'm like, everyone else who says it just immediately fucking goes against their own rules here. <laughs> He's the only one who like actually listens to the advice. And he wins the duel. To be fair, the other person wasn't shooting at him, so easier to win. But hey, look him in the... It seems like for people who actually followed this advice, number nine is the ticket. Fuck all the other eight numbers. Number nine, if you actually do it, 100% success rate so far. Well, if you're shooting and they're not. It's easier. It is easier when the person you're shooting is not trying to shoot you. I will give that the full credit it deserves. I mean, we... Causation, correlation, all that stuff aside. Yes. He said it. He followed it. He won. Is it the reason he won? Probably not, but it counts. He said it. It's It's like fudging the MLB stats to find the argument you want. I'm saying as a fact. That he's the only person who follows this rule and wins. Who follows this rule and wins. And as a counter-argument, people can say, well, the person he was shooting was not shooting at him. So, of course, he won. To which I will say, bollocks. It's because of this super good line delivery. <laughs> well, you know, we have to get into the discussion of what do we find as winning, right? There's, there's winning the duel, but there's winning the American I, memory. I, I think he loses on balance and i think he thinks he loses on balance but we're getting there after hamilton has something to say about it take your 10 paces you know one two whatever 10 paces fire also no one fired early rules are rules man no george eaker bullshit happening here everyone's on time for this stuff um hamilton while delivering these lines has not yet lifted his pistol in the sky. There's some significance to that, and I can never quite pin down exactly how I feel about it, but it's a choice to have Hamilton deliver this monologue and then raise his pistol, as opposed to an equally easy raise his pistol and then deliver the monologue. Right? And I think it's, I think it's very significant that they chose this order to do it. I am at, so you get this cool rendition, and this is all, this is the third time we're getting this. You know, a lot of things are kind of triplets here. We got it in my shot. We got it in Yorktown, right? Yeah, Yorktown is like, I imagine death so much, it feels more like a memory. Is this where it gets me on my feet? The enemy ahead of me. If this is the end of me, at least, I, yeah, okay, cool. I got it. Yeah. It's all, it's yeah, all yeah. up here. It's, it's all up here. Town. So it is, I'm just trying to convince myself it's actually three times. So my Weapon shot, in my hand, a command with my friends with yeah, me. Cool. I'm just yeah. trying to make sure it's actually three times before I say it as a matter of fact. Um, and then we get it the third time here. Holy shit. I imagine death so much it feels more like a memory. Is this where it gets me on my feet, several feet ahead of me? So it's, He's in this moment. So it's weird because we were just shifting from Burr right to Hamilton. And it's very jarring because you just got all of this intense Burr stuff. And now you're just kind of pulled right down into like a very emotional, calm. Like Hamilton's very calm here. He's not, he doesn't seem distressed. He seems a little anxious, you know, maybe a little worried. 
maybe a little like unsure about death by the end of this. But they're almost like um, stoic in a way. Like he's kind of just talking this through with us. Like he's here. He's aimed his pistol up. Not to the sky yet, but he's there. He's in the duel. Pause. Like let's talk about this for a little bit. Um, is this where it gets me on my free feet, several feet ahead of me? I see it coming. Do I run or fire my gun or let it be? Interesting choice here because they added some a little bit of cadence to this line. I don't know if that's the correct terminology, right? Saying, I see it coming. Do I run or fire my gun or let it be? Earlier, there's only two options. Now there's three. And it, it, it makes you notice it because it's not quite in the same kind of cadence as before. I don't know what I'm saying about kind of the beginning of this here other than I'm just... There's so many choices here that I find fascinating, but that really work for me in this moment. Well, that's because there is no beat, no melody. The line that follows right after that. Right. Everything is breaking apart, but also we are we are at the resolution of dramatic themes that have been going through the show, so it has to come in threes. Everything has to. That's that's the way that works. Can I can I say something funny here? And I and I, I hate to bring any kind of like stupid comedy bullshit into this part of the song. Okay. And yet you're about to. Every time I hear the line, do I run or fire my gun or let it be? It lays out the stakes really well. I understand what his options are, right? He's going to choose let it be, right? Now other option, fire my gun. What does running from a duel look like? Like, is it like a little sidestep? Like, do you just like, whoop? Or like, does he... Like, number 10, turn around, sprint to the side. I'm kind of trying to figure out what kind of option run is. Like, surely within the rules of the duel, you are not allowed to just run away from the duel. Like, is that an actual option at this moment? At this moment, that is completely denying any claim you have to be a man of honor. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Once, like, once, once you, once you run, Yeah. Yeah. Once you, once you have placed yourself upon the dueling ground... If you flee at this juncture, you are admitting defeat and you have no claim to honor going forward. So it is an option, but one we can just dismiss is ridiculous. Like Hamilton would never, the Hamilton we know would never choose this, but it is an option that like a person might choose and probably it is an option, but you better be careful who you're dueling because typically a dueling set is two pistols, typically. So if you are dueling someone that is completely without honor on their own, you are inviting the opportunity that you could just get shot. I have. Yeah. That's what I would do. Shoot the motherfucker in the back. You don't run from a duel with me. I got two pistols, you idiot. How dare you, Bradley? Pew, pew. You're you're a brigand. (laughs) (laughs) I'm imagining... I'm imagining I'm imagining a, a headcanon now where the reason George Eaker shoots before 10 is that like his last duel, the person ran and he's like, ah, fuck this. I'm not doing this again. <laughs> Just shoots Philip at seven. <laughs> yeah. You can't run if I cheat. You can't run if I cheat, Philip Hamilton. Well, yeah, uh, you can't run if I cheat is most of what Fortnite is based around. So yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know? um, okay. But no, I mean, I think... I think it might be a little more nuanced than than actually running. Like I think it's possible that that's something that he's considering, but 
I think it's more, do I run from what I believe my destined fate is? Do, because I, I think part of this is because we begin with death, because we begin with Hamilton saying, I imagine death so much it feels more like a memory. He's saying, do I run from death, right? Do I, uh, d- do I try to do something? I don't, I don't know if necessarily running away from the dueling ground is, maybe it is just taking the bullet. Maybe running from consequence is taking the bullet, but trying to, I don't know, maybe maybe it just gets too murky when I try to make it more complicated. I really don't think, because we're dealing in such a metaphorical space here, because we're dealing in a a, a glimpse of a moment, this internal monologue that is that exists in what I believe to be a liminal space, a world between worlds right. yeah. here, in a way, I don't know if it's so literal as he's about to turn tail and run. I don't think that that's something he's capable of. Right. I just wanted to bring it up. I always listen, like, I just didn't, like, what, like, in the context of what is running entail? Like, is it actually running? Is it this theoretical running? Is his choice to run? Like, to run, like, maybe he's running away from his responsibility in the duel, which would be to fire and try and kill Burr. Maybe he's, like, maybe he is running. Maybe he did make the choice to run. It's just, I just always, like, this line is just fascinating because I'm not really sure. I understand letting it be and firing my gun. I understand exactly what that entails. Mm-hmm. Running, I'm a little more un, unclear on. Um, there's no beat. I don't. No mel- the The fact that he could even consider that at this point, like up to the we've had we've had two hours. We've had two hours and fifteen minutes of Hamilton being like, my reputation matters the most to me. I can't imagine him actually running from a duel. At I don't. This think so. I don't think he would choose that. Yeah, he's just saying that it is a choice that he could make. So I'm just wondering what choice is that? Not that he'd make it, right? Right. Like when I when I run down the stairs to to leave the house later, right? I I have the choice to fall down them. I don't. I won't make my, that choice. But I, like, do I fall or walk or slide down the railing? Like I have I have some options. I'm gonna choose to walk down them, but I I can still stay out loud that I have the choice to also fall down them. Doesn't mean I'll do it. Um, no beat, no melody. Fascinating line that you could really dive into. I just like, because there's actually no beat, no melody. And credit to the Disney Plus audience. Not, I think most, but just credit to the Disney Plus audience. Silent. Silent, silent. Like, you can't, and even if there was, maybe there's some fancy audio tech to edit it out. There's not a paper crunching. There's not a shoe shuffling. There's not a cough. There's not a, it's, it's, perfectly silent so credit to the audience if you were secretly loud and it was edited out i'll still give you the credit because whatever but interesting well i mean you've you've seen it it was silent. i mean yeah 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 i mean it's, right, it's I'm, such I'm a, the credit it's to the such audience. a captivating moment yeah absolutely um here we go here here we go we've been waiting for this moment for a long time We've known about this moment for a long time, and now we are going to disagree about this moment. Burr, my first friend. I'm my... I'm reloading for this one. I'm sorry because this is going to be intense. <laughs> I, I, I literally only have one beer. This isn't a fair. This isn't a it's fair. Not fair at all. <laughs> all right, let's go. Let's do it. All right. I don't, I don't think we're actually going to disagree about this that much. I think it's more of a matter of 
definition of friend, which we've, which is getting interesting here. Um, Burr, my first friend, my enemy. So the way I've always interpreted this line, and I think, I'm not sure what you're, we've specifically not talked about this, so it could be fresh for the podcast. I imagine a lot of people are being like, well, what about Lauren, specifically Lawrence? Like, what about Lawrence? What about Lafayette? What about Hercules Mulligan? Like, surely he had friends before he met Aaron Burr, because he's an adult by the time he meets Aaron Burr. So there's no possible way for him to be his first friend. Right? And I, I definitely vibe with all that. What I, what I really enjoy about this line is not... I'm doing the reverse Bradley here, and I'm really appreciating the, the nuance of the line and not the strict definition of the line. No, that's the same. That's my still. I'm do, that's a theme for me. That's not the reverse Bradley. I'm just, it's a theme for me in this episode. I imagine... How I imagine this line is like if if I was in a situation where I was standing across from somebody, right, and I'm going to shoot them or raise my gun in the sky or run or whatever the options are, right? But one of these options is I'm going to, going to murder them, right? Hamilton already knows this is something he doesn't want to do and isn't going to do. He's going to raise his pistol in the sky. And I imagine like, as you're looking across from that person. So you, so you believe now that he already knows he's going to do that. I think so. I don't believe that he's trying to, I don't believe he's trying to, I don't think he's trying to say, Oh, I could do anything. What am I going to do? It it really vibes with who Hamilton is, his sense of honor. Um, you know what he, his advice to Philip earlier, like if it tracks with me that he would raise his gun and he already knows he's going to do this. And he's just laying out the options he has for us. But I think he knows he's going to choose fire my gun. I can imagine a moment where you're looking upon this situation, especially in this kind of ether space that we're in between two worlds or however you want to describe this kind of brain space we're in. And really picking apart things fondly. Like, fuck, how did we get here? How, like, I Once I was a 19-year-old kid, bright-eyed, looking at the world, ready to start a revolution, you know, ready to do all this stuff. And when I got to America, who did I meet? I met Aaron Burr. This guy was a hero. He had graduated college two years. Like, if you had told Hamilton before he arrived, right, or before he ever met Aaron Burr, and you said, mate, mate, you're going to hang out with Aaron Burr. You're going to be in the same army as Aaron Burr. He would have freaked out. It would have been amazing. Like this dude who graduated like two years early, someone that Hamilton wants to emulate in this moment. Like in the first moment we meet them, Hamilton's trying to emulate him, trying to follow Burr's path. Like, oh, wow, how did you do this? I would also like to do this, right? And then one of the first things they discover about each other is that they're orphans. They have so much in common. I can imagine in this moment how, regardless if it's not true, Hamilton would in his own mind and say out loud, Burr, my first friend, my enemy because to me that just describes point a and point z it leaves out all the context in the middle but from when we first meet them those first couple lines to right now where one of them is going to die right i understand how point a is my first friend and point z is my enemy and i really love this line because i i not because it's definitively a true statement because it's not 
but because in those three words, it's able to evoke out of me like Aaron Burser, like you have to evoke, take it's trying to take you back all the way to the beginning of the musical and you have to do that efficiently in this moment, right? If you're watching this for the first time, you not, might not remember all that, but if you're an audience member, you might you might recall that first meeting as them being friends and buddies. You like a lot of the things that we talk about are Hamilton being like passive aggressive, right? Where he's like, "Yeah, hey, Lieutenant Colonel." Like, and we we talk about it as if like, "Yeah, yeah, Lieutenant Colonel." Guess who's not me, right? But to an average person, you might read that as like, "Oh, they're friends. Like they're friends." I under I just understand this line. It really it evokes what it needs to evoke out of me in this moment. It makes a lot of sense for someone who's already chosen not to fire their gun. Right. It's like you like Hamilton has to do the reverse justification. He has to sit here and justify to himself why he shouldn't fire at Burr. Right. He's doing the reverse Burr. Now, he doesn't do as much of it out loud. Mm -hmm. Right. But he has the option to fire at Burr and he needs to talk himself out of it. Like, look him in the eye, raise no aim no higher, summon all the courage you require. Whatever the reverse of that line is, Hamilton still has to do that. Right. And to me, the first friend line just accomplishes that perfectly, even if it's not definitively true. I can really see how you get there and Burr is this person you're trying to emulate and he's very smart. He's very wise, right? He's been in America for a long time and then he's in the same army as you and you're both orphans and you can bond over that before you, before you meet Lauren. Like it's the next song in the musical after my shot. No, it is my shot where you meet the lads. And so I can see how just like from the musical point of view, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but like that, you can assume a couple days have passed or whatever between when he met Burr and when he found the, the lads. I don't know. I, I'm not defending the line definitively, but I'm completely defending it as evoking what I needed to evoke in this moment to match what Hamilton's about to do. Cause he also because says my for, enemy. He also says my enemy. In he does. The, he does. Like he, he reprises the idea of duality in this moment. And what I'm hearing from you is that, Objective truth doesn't matter. To you as an audience member, what he's saying here is true to the show that you are watching. Correct. Which I think does make it a successful line of right. verse for you. You know? Like right. that. I'm that assuming makes... you're you're a little hung up on the definition. <laughs> I I I mean no, no, that's a bad thing. Like, I'm not saying no, that it's like no. a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm just assuming that's, that's where we're disagreement's going to come. No, no, no. I mean, that's that's kind of what analysis is, right? Yeah. Is how do we navigate that space between between those two things? I'm I'm not I'm not hung up on on things of it's it is fundamentally true to the story that you're in the middle of. And that I also respond to. When I look at the rest of his friendships, I I kind of bump on Burr want, being one of his friends at all. Right. Compared to, yeah. That's, that's my thing. You I know? agree with you. And the part that takes that away from me is when he acknowledges just later, maybe the last face I ever see. Now I get, like, I think he's adding an amount of fondness to this relationship because that's what he needs to do to convince himself not to shoot. Not because it's true. I agree with you. I think he's pretending that Burr was a much closer friend than he was. But I, can I think see he how is too. I think I can see how that's possible and why the line works for me. 
Yeah, I think he is too. Because I like, just like I think Burr is making his case to us, and we are the jury, and he's pleading his case, he's justifying. I think this is a beautiful moment. I think it is well-conceived and well-delivered. But I also, because of the duality between these two people, because I believe part of the point of the show is we're supposed to compare these two individuals. Because these moments happen one before the other with no interruption, we go straight from Burr to Hamilton. This is Hamilton pleading his case to us. And rightly or wrongly, I actually read a lot of ignobility into Hamilton's justification here. And this is what, like, this song, this is where I can see Hamilton as an unreliable narrator as well. And all of my my hinkiness with the whole first friend by enemy thing it colors my opinion of his decision to raise his pistol to the sky and his decision to raise his pistol to the sky colors everything that happens here there's a feedback loop there they're intertwined they're yeah and, and, and which it should be a little murky and a little muddy and a little strange and a little hard to sift through because you're in this weird headspace. You're not in a you period are. of time that exists or in a period of time that <laughs> happened. Right. Like Hamilton didn't really say all this in the second and a half before Burr shot him. <laughs> right. This is this is some kind of posthumous posthumous or not or kind of mm-hmm. just it, it, it's something it is something it is something that's yeah. happening in some weird space of time that we're getting access to so it makes perfect sense to me that it's not fully clicking in a way that you're like oh yeah burr was definitely his first friend well, like, right I, but, but at the same time i can also see like sure if we're being you know what <laughs> if we're just working with the definition of what the word friend was it was like, I get that, you know, but if so, so what, what you're saying is he was his first friend chronologically. And I'm saying he wasn't his first friend, like the first order, like, you know, like <laughs> first being synonymous with highest or greatest or best. Right. right. Yeah. I, I think, I think we actually agree quite a bit about how this we do. Was- how this you moment know? works and i think i think we're kind of just semantically disagreeing <laughs> well it's it, it's you and i it's you and i being in the same forest and you're on you know or we're skiing and you're on slope a and i'm on slope b and we get to the same lift and go oh fuck you're here right that's absolutely. weird yeah yeah, yeah. i thought you came from way. over there right yeah. i thought you came. you know i thought that's you came exactly from right. over there <laughs> yeah <laughs> Cool. That was less. That was less intense than the Angelica thing. I was expecting Angelica 2.0, and that it could have been worse. Yeah, the Angelica argument was, is one of my favorite pieces of podcasting I've ever done. That was just beautiful. well. That was just I, fun. I listened I tr- to the whole thing. I, I, when I, I treasure. I treasure it as well. That's I, that's one of the few moments that I actually like went through and like. Was I right there? Was I, I wrong? I listened to the what? entire thing when I was editing it. <laughs> Which I, I know like, you don't do. I don't do that. Not at all. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. No. Neither of us do. That's, you know, here's some, uh, 
here's some let's dive deeper for you listeners i actually uh, i actually um am planning to record my editing of the let's dive deep harry potter trailer to release as like a bonus thing like how does a pot oh, i don't want to do it for like a proper episode but i think yeah, for like for a sure. trailer or a bonus one Going through, how does a podcast get edited? It's pretty cool. Anyways, we're yeah. getting. We're, I was we're, I was wondering if maybe tomorrow morning we should record us planning the Let's Dive Deep HP and release that. Oh, that'd be sick. Absolutely. As, as as some bonus stuff, yeah, that'd be fun. Anyways, stay tuned for Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter in about uh, five weeks. Anyways, let's keep on moving on. I guess if you're listening to this in the future, it's already out. So you're lucky. You don't have to wait five weeks. Um, (laughs) Here we get, man, this is going to be a four-hour podcast, and I'm with it. If I throw away my shot, is this how you'll remember me? What if this bullet is my legacy? Now, on one hand, typical fucking Hamilton, here he is on his bullshit again, and only gives a fuck about, like, if you die here, your wife is left without a husband. All right? There are other things at stake here, Hamilton, other than your legacy. All right. No, I I, <laughs> I think you have yeah, I think you have the totally wrong take here. Seriously, really? I, I really, especially because of everything that you just said, I think you really need to pay attention here to what just came before. Maybe the last face I ever see, if I throw away my shot, is this how you'll remember me? He is talking directly to Burr here. Oh, that's true. That's fair. I I've never read it that way. I've always Think read it. About- he's, ta- he's talking to me. No, like, this is no, 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 no. Stop. No, no, no. And and I'm I, and I get your reading there, but gonna- it would be it would be so easy to to have that be the reading. Is if I throw away my shot, is this how they'll remember me, or is this how the world remembers me? But no, I, it's the last face I ever see if I throw my... Uh, now, you can also make the argument, if that was true, if I throw away my shot, is this how he'll remember me would be the better... Li- I, I get it. I get that. But I think that's the way I read that line. The reason why this... I'm just double-checking. The reason why I think Hamilton's talking to us... I'm gonna see. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to watch it right now and see whether who he's looking at. <laughs> but when, when, Burr, when Burr invokes the past tense, he says they won't teach you in your class. Like He uses the word you. Oh, I feel you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The word you yeah. has just been used to clearly invoke... That he's talking to the audience. So when Hamilton, so you're saying Hamilton word, is doing the same. When yeah, Hamilton yeah, uses yeah. the word "you'll" yeah. here, I have no reason. He might be talking to Burr, but I also have no reason. Canonically, we know in this show they will use that word. They just did to imply and talking to the audience. So I've always I implied you. like, is this how you'll remember me? Also, we're about to get into the part of the musical where they talk about how no one remembered Hamilton, and that's kind of the point of this musical, right? So to me, the themes of like whether the audience is going to remember Hamilton for this or that are kind of just all here together. Mm-hmm. In which case, I say guilty. Like Hamilton, there's other stuff going on. <laughs> I I look forward to reexamining it through that lens. I have always interpreted this as being directly addressed to Burr only. I'm uh, currently scrolling through right now. <laughs> I'm literally clicking through Disney Plus. All right. Oh no, I'm at the screen. That's too far. Oh my God, what's happening? 
Sorry, this is going to take a minute. That's oh, unfortunate because, as we all know, there's no way to edit audio. We've said it no. times, times before. There's no way. You can't, you can't fix here it. Here it is. He's back facing to Burr, staring center stage at the audience. Well, I quit. <laughs> this, this is, I, 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 I think he's talking all to right. the audience. You know what? I will not, I will not have it be recorded <laughs> and distributed in a public forum being wrong. I have to, I have to quit. I don't want to say you're definitively wrong. I'm just compiling evidence for my case. Right. And I think this is an interesting uh, discovery for me because my, my visual intake of Hamilton is maybe like a 1090 split versus audio. Whereas sure. I, kn I know you are coming at it for much more of the Disney plus and live version, right? So, oh yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. So there's there's a lot of things that like as I as I'm listening to it and I'm experiencing it, there's probably some holes that I'm filling in in my brain that I I am I'm learning new things as I watch the Disney Plus version for doing this podcast, right? And I yeah, the Disney the, Plus the, up in case we need it again. That was helpful. The, I'm glad the staging, the staging does really inform that moment because if he's focusing on the audience when he's delivering that line, that was a deliberate choice by the director and choreographer. Yeah, not like a head turn. Like he is full body facing the audience mm -hmm. and back to Burr and the Bullet Girl who yeah. we still need to talk about. Fuck. And that, and that speaks a lot to the intention of that line for sure. So Hamilton's on a shit about his legacy, regardless of whether he's talking to Burt or it makes a big difference in terms of how you interpret the line, but he's, he's still focused on his legacy. Yeah. Um, I, I think you're right. Yeah. What I, what I, I, I think you're so right. <laughs> <laughs> what I love is how he talks about legacy. I frequently, when I find super anti-immigrant people simply just quote this and then just put like a little dash, Hamilton the musical, Lin-Manuel Miranda, <laughs> at the end of it to make a kind of a pro-immigrant argument. And now I know arguing over Facebook is not the right form for these, but mostly just like my cousins are terrible people and I don't agree with them on many things, this being one of those things. Um, what is a legacy? It's planting seeds in a garden you never get to see. I wrote some notes at the beginning of a song someone will sing for me. America, you great unfinished symphony you sent for me. You let me make a difference, a place where even orphan immigrants can leave their fingerprints. All of this together invokes a lot of the, the immigration themes that we've been going through. And I know the, the last line is the only line that references the word immigrant or immigration at all. But I think trying to think about legacy in this moment and kind of interweaving it in this weird kind of liminal headspace that we're in still and kind of really diving into it. Part of it just makes a lot of factual sense. Like that is what a legacy is. It's planting seeds in a garden you never get to see. It's very Game of Thronesy. You know, Tywin Lannister's always on his shit about legacy. Like when I'm gone and when you're gone and when the, your kid is gone, what is left? It's the legacy. It's the Lannister. Like that is what he's on. That's so that's kind of factually what it is. I wrote some notes at the beginning of a song someone will sing for me. 
and to me, just through what we're living through right now, I feel like a lot of people are having their legacy questioned rightfully in, in 2021. Like a lot of people who we used to revere for one reason or another have been found out to be terrible people for one thing or another, right? So this idea of legacy is really cool to me because it doesn't have to be factual, right? Like it, it can be a complete lie until new, like your legacy is kind of, I don't know, it's just this whole thing is kind of weird. And I, I just really like this moment of kind of trying to define legacy, but leaving it a little ambiguous, but having it be factually accurate and bringing in the immigration theme as well. It just really vibes for me, this idea of legacy and immigration kind of intertwined together in this way. It's prescient, you know, and in a way that isn't even the proper word because Hamilton, the Broadway debut of Hamilton predated a lot of the stuff that we're going through right now that you talked about, you know? Um, the first thing that comes to mind when you're talking about legacy, how people are remembered and framing this conversation uh, in the context of your cousins and anti-immigrant sympathies and, and people that, that use that kind of language trying to establish that kind of legacy. Uh, you know, it calls to mind, honestly, I, I know this is a stretch, but bear with me, uh, dear listeners and Bradley, as you have done for 17 episodes up to now, <laughs> um, 18 episodes up to now, um, it calls to mind uh, January 6th. That on the one hand, when people were going towards the American Capitol to try to subvert an election, on the one hand, it failed. The election went through. It was okay. But on the other hand, you have to wonder, like, was it the establishment of an alternative patriot lore? Right? Like, by, by doing that, did they establish an alternative legacy that they could pass down onto people? Like, was that the first steps of saying... Like we have, we have taken a stand and now out the people that come after us will fulfill on the promise that we've made on this day. It's fascinating to kind of pick this apart. Cause like I'll use the KKK as an example, right? The KKK would have told at the time when the KKK were really prevalent and at their heyday, like the height of their kind of super racist bullshit, right? They would have told themselves that their legacy would have been heroic, they would have had this heroic legacy yeah, of like yeah. cleansing the 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 white American nation of its demon. Like that's that's what they would have told themselves. Their legacy now is just as a bunch of abhorrent racist people. Like that's their legacy, right? Yeah. But it depends on who your who is writing your legacy. A KKK sympathizer would write your legacy a lot different than I would write your legacy. Right. Hamilton, right. what is his legacy? Absolutely nothing to most people until this musical comes out. Right? Like, he's worried about his legacy so much, and nobody knows who he is until this musical comes out. Or at least does not have this level of detail. Like, there might be a building named after him. People might know he was the Treasury Secretary. You might know of him. Right? But you're not going to know. Like, his legacy was kind of, eh. Yeah. yeah. Until this musical comes out. So it's fascinating to kind of pick this apart. Right, and because of, like, it's so easy for you and I to go to these different places here and to say, like, you you can think what your legacy might be, but it's it's going to depend on 
aha, I'm a genius. It's going to depend on who lives, who dies, and who tells your story, Absolutely. right? And you, you saw where I was going because you're yeah. a fucking prophet. I saw it in your <laughs> face. You knew yeah. what I was about to do. But the thing is, what he's saying is, you know, I planted seeds in a garden, and also, America, you sent for me. Immigrants, we get the job done. Yeah. Th- those ideas here are so very connected. And I, I love tying back to those ideas. Like, I love tying back to those ideas here where it matters the most, because as far as we're given to understand, if we're watching this musical with any level of understanding, this is about to be his last moment. So we should take these words to heart. All right. Huh. I'm running out of time. I'm running in my time's up, wise up, eyes up. He catches a glimpse of the other side. Now this just fucks with my brain in the best way. Because it's all happening in a little... This happens over one second. So this is all not really happening. But does that mean it's not real? Ooh, a little Harry Potter reference, right? Like, it's all there. And... It's just there for you to absorb or not, or take in. Because you know in this one second moment, he can't be thinking all this. But, I think it's, imp- I think it's so important he- for us to believe and understand that it is very real to him. It's, yeah, that's what I mean. Absolutely. It is real to him. It's, yes, definitely real to him. Right? Um, Lawrence leads the soldier's chorus on the other side. Fuck yeah, Lawrence. Heck yeah. I wouldn't want Lawrence doing anything else on the other side. That's awesome. His son is on the other side. He's with my mother on the other side. Washington is watching from the other side. So he's here with his gun, and it's pointed at Burr. And I'm convinced he's already going to raise his gun in the sky, but since he's also using this moment to kind of justify to us why he does, he caught a glimpse of the other side. There's a lot for him to live for here, but the other side doesn't look so bad. The other mm-hmm. side looks pretty good. That's where his son is. Right? He has to apol- he has a lot of apologies to make on the other side. <laughs> like the right? Like his mom's on the other side. Washington, Lawrence, all these people are on the other side. He has a lot of apologies to make on the other side. The apology he has to make is on this side, where he's like, I'm gonna be chilling with my homies. Hey, wife, good luck. Oh, okay, no, no. Either way, there's a lot of apologies, but I imagine he goes to whatever this heaven space is where he's seeing Lawrence, not Lawrence, Philip, and has to be like, ooh, I gave you some bad Oh, advice. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, yeah. I just think either way, I, I, assume, I, assume, I assume when he goes to the other side, Lauren, or fucking Philip is like, ah, Pops, holy shit, what's up? I assume he's like, hey, wait a minute. You gave me some advice, and I followed it to the letter. <laughs> and I know the, I know he cheated. I know the dude cheated, but I should not have aimed at the sky. That was, you know, what I mean, like, I think there's, I don't think it's a lot to smooth over. Yeah, but this begs the question. The other side doesn't seem so bad. He's looking right at it. it sounds great, but what does that cost? You leave Eliza, who you've just done all this work uptown to get to forgive you. Just said was the best of wives and best of women. Right. The best of wives, the best of women. You're like, nah, peace out, dog. By aiming your pistol at the sky, you are leaving your fate solely up to Aaron Burr. And whether he decides, you are leaving 
right? You'll be on this side, you'll be on the other side, you'll be wherever, but Aaron Burr will decide where that is or try to decide where that is. He will have the he will have the final say into where you're going. And whether that's enough to sway it, maybe he shoots and misses, whatever. But you're leaving it up to chance. You're leaving it up to fate. You're leaving it up to God. You're leaving it up to Burr. Like whichever one you're doing, right? You're leaving it up mm-hmm. to something that's not you, right? Which is a fascinating choice to make. Because at I... least by aiming and firing, you might still die. You may both shoot and miss. You might both shoot each other. I'm sure that actually happened in a couple of cases where you both fire at the same time and you both and get shot. Just... Right. Yeah. And so... At least in that case, you're using whatever agency you have in the situation to try and steer your fate, to try and steer God, to try and steer Bird, to try and steer. But no, Hamilton chooses to leave it up to them. The the God, Bird, the gun, whatever, the whatever. But Eliza doesn't get to choose here. Their other mm-hmm. kids don't get to choose. He has other children. You know, I only yeah. fill up in this show. He has multiple other children. Well, I don't want to know the numbers five, six. It's a lot. It's not one or two. It's a lot of kids. It's so fascinating in this moment. Perfectly Hamilton to pick the other side. <laughs> I don't I don't think that I don't think there's an argument to be made that there's objective proof of this. I don't I don't know if I can ever like I don't I, I, I'm getting to my point. I'm sorry. It just requires a bit of preamble. Um I don't know if there's a way to analyze this text heavily enough to prove that I am correct here. I don't I I don't know. But I really think that Hamilton's view of the other side here after what we've heard already, I imagine death so much it feels more like a memory if this is where it gets me. And then he says, "I see it coming." I do not think, as you put it, I don't think this is him leaving it up to Burr or or God, as he understands God to be. I think Hamilton in this moment knows that if he makes this choice, he's dead. I, I do not think this is him leaving his fate up to the capital F fates. I think this is him committing suicide. Yeah, you're still leaving it up to something, though. Because you aim at the sky, you know Burr's gonna shoot. Maybe he slips, maybe he misses, maybe his gun misfires. Maybe, like, there's still a, like, it's not guaranteed either. You're still leaving it up to some luminous force. No, thing. no, no. I don't think in this moment he's leaving it up to anything. I I take the line, I see it coming, to mean, because he is a soldier with a marksman's ability. I think in this space, between worlds, he knows where that bullet is going. And he knows exactly what he is doing. He has decided in this moment to die. He has decided to perish. Right. So I'm going to meet you halfway and say, Ham- that's what Hamilton thinks he's doing. Oh, but, okay. But Hamilton, right. Hamilton thinks that he's like, he has chosen death here for sure. He is going to give every opportunity. He's going to make it as easy as possible to be shot here. And even if you extrapolate that further, he shows up and he, he, if you're taking, if you're giving any credit to a Burr saying, Hamilton puts in the extra effort. He's looking at his gun. He's putting his glasses on, right? He's picking the best possible spot, giving every indication to Burr that he's deadly serious. 
so that Burr has the best chance of shooting him. Even if that's all true, there is still just factually this minutia of fate that you're, even though Hamilton doesn't think he's leaving it up to that, right? Burr turns and slips. His gun misfires, right? Hamilton can think he knows exactly where that bullet's going, but he actually does not. He might know. No, 90%. I'm with you. Yeah. M maybe it was muddy that morning. Right. Yeah. He, he factually does not know exactly where it's going because you can't predict what could happen there. But in his head, he does. And that's good enough. I think we're saying the same thing. And again, in the same in the same forest, just getting there. At the. I think I think we're a little bit further apart on this, but we're we're in the neighborhood. We're we're at least in the the sand stand the same stand of trees here. Yeah, for sure. Lots to email us about. Um, <laughs> I God, I could, I don't wanna, but I could talk about his selfishness in this moment forever. There's there is on the one hand, it is so sweet, my love. Take your time live your life you live your life as long as you can i'll see you on the other side i i love you i want you to live like that is so tender and sweet and wonderful and lovely and also it's like fuck you <laughs> like i'm i'm choosing to check out right like i'm just gone it would be like not not at all exactly the same but it's kind of like if you're in your office and your boss comes and fires you but then like wishes you well in your next job Right? Yeah, it's like I hope you do well in the job hunt. It's like, well, I I had a job and it was with you. Yeah, well, you don't anymore. Right, right, but yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. wait a minute, it's kind of a, um, I think higher stakes, but your analogy is well taken. Yeah. yeah. Um, interesting here. Teach me how to say goodbye. It, it's. It's all in his head like there's no, this happens in a second like there's no one to teach like he has to teach himself like it's almost like i love this because he's just he's kind of vamping to himself like he's doing the reverse but like he needs to he's trying to get like teach me like he's trying to get him so mm. the way the music is and the i don't know i get this vibe that he's really trying to hype himself up for this moment in a, in a tender way like it, the music's not hyped up at all right yeah, no this is this like, is his uh this is his all of the Jedi live within you moment. Yeah. Absolutely. He's this is this is him at the end of Rise of Skywalker. And he's calling on Washington to amp him up. Right? And like I think rise up, rise up, rise up is you know, because remember earlier in the show, I don't think this is accidental. It was Washington and this is before uh, Washington's going home. This is before teach them how to say goodbye. But it was Washington that said to Hamilton, go home, Alexander. That's an order from your commander. And then Hamilton refocused his attention on his wife. And then he learned about Philip. He, he learned that Eliza was, was with child. Uh, wrote to the general a month ago. <laughs> and so it's not accidental that evoking Washington here redirects his attention to Eliza. Now, I don't think that it's perfectly with the proper intentions here because I still think that Hamilton is being a wee bit selfish. Even in the way that he dies. Like, that is so... Like, Alexander Hamilton is selfish even in the manner that he dies. I think that's delightful. That is so true to character. But I don't think it's uh, accidental here. So teach me how to say goodbye. He's reaching out to force ghost Washington 
And Washington reminds him, look to your family. Like, even if you cannot do it perfectly, you terrible husband. Think, <laughs> think right. of your think of your wife before you go. I I think that's what the these lines uh mean and why they're in this order. He goes on to keep pumping himself up, gives himself a couple rise ups, right? Again, just so fascinating. I don't know if I can fully pick this apart properly. Just part hyping himself up, part like knowing that he has to face Eliza at some point with this choice, whether it's now, whether it's in heaven 50 years from now, or whatever, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, right, he's getting his courage, like, right, he's telling himself to, to like, find the courage to, to, to submit to this or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot, and while this is happening on the stage, the ensemble is evoking a lot of, I want to say natural, they're very smooth. They, they remind me a lot of the water and the wind and the, the way they're moving around the stage. They're kind of intertwined and connected. It gives you like a real sense that you're in his head, but also that there's calm and there's focus and that things are happening as they should be. Well, that, what, uh, what has Hamilton experienced before that involves water and wind? hurricane yeah like it they, this yeah. gives you the opposite feeling like it's more yeah it's yeah, the exact thing i'm trying to say like this really gives you the feeling that nothing's wrong here this isn't this is going as intended like this isn't a hurricane for hamilton right this is he's calm in this moment he's composed he's at least to some degree stoic um eliza center stage reaching an arm out my love take your time i'll see you on the other side Cool. Again, lots of apologies to, to make, but fair enough. That is that is when you'll see her again. Um, raise a glass to freedom. Yup. Wow. What a line yep. choice. I love it, and I have no idea yep. why. Like the freedom you, to get shot in a duel. Like you you don't know you don't know why you love this line. Like I love it, but I, not for any specific reason. I just think it fits really well for everything. Like I, I don't, I, I've just tried not to dive deep into this line specifically. I just like it the way it is. Like I don't. It's kind of like getting an unwanted origin story. I don't need to know what what happened to Han Solo. I just like Han Solo as he is. Like same with this line. I don't need to know any more about it other than I love it. Do you remember hearing this line earlier in this musical? Ah, yeah. Who said it? Oh, um, oh, fuck. Yep. Oh, no, I'm going to get it. Why am I not remembering off the top of my head? Oh, fuck. I can't remember off the top of my head. I I purposely avoided diving deep into this just so I could love it the way it is. Dude. Uh, Can I say? I was going to say it's Lawrence, isn't it? Yeah. John Lawrence's last line on stage is one of Hamilton's. And yeah. Hamilton's last line on stage is one of Lawrence's. Right. It is Lawrence. It's not in the soundtrack, the, though, right? It's just the Disney Plus version. Just you you don't get it on the soundtrack right, because gotcha. that's the, that's the yeah. song they cut. Um, gotcha. That is the song they cut. And, you know, for better or worse, they did it. Um, but the last thing Hamilton says on stage is is John Lawrence. Like he's he's quoting him, right? And again, it's a wink and a nod. You bring to the show what you bring to it, but right. 
I I love this so much. And this is like when when I watch the show, this is when I start crying. Right. Is is right here. Like this is where That's I a... start. Yeah. Um, um it's like it's just a it's just a tear here and there. Um I don't start weeping until orphanage. Right. Fair enough. I man. Okay. I don't even know where to begin with the next part either. Again, another line that I just love and kind of avoid thinking about it too much because I don't want to not love it, right? Like I don't want to, if I learn more about it, I might not love it as much. So I kind of just leave it to love. He aims this pistol at the sky and then Burr yells, wait. Burr like yells, unambiguously wait for a, for a while before he pulls the trigger right and i have so many theories as to why this is and what specifically he's trying to prove and who he's trying to narrate to and what he's trying to say and and i just kind of like not really having it pinned down exactly because i like that it just means all these different things to me if that's making sense like it's another line where I just love, I love watching it. I love listening to it. I like just having yeah. a bunch of little theories about what it could mean, but I can't really, maybe it's all of the above. Maybe it's none of the above, right? My favorite I, kind of, I think, I think it can be all of the above, but if we don't explore all of them, then we got to change oh, the name we're of gonna, the show to dive shallow. Them. No, no, absolutely. We're, we're diving deep into them, but I yeah. just, I'm just giving the disclaimer that, I, I'm worried about like this is a line where it's like if I could choose a part not to dive deep into these couple of lines would be them because I like them having not dove deep into them like I'm worried about what I'll find right like, oh I yeah. like I really I like I'm worried that once I find something that it might not be I might not like it as much anymore um, my favorite kind of interpretation of this line is that on on a very simple level on a very simple level. Burr sees Hamilton raise his... Like, there's no weird ethereal headspace shit going on. Like, it's just... Hamilton is done being in his head. He aims his pistol at this guy. And Burr... Like, Burr's yelling, wait, in the sense that, like, no, you cannot do this. Like, this is not with... But he... Uh but But by the time he can choose not to shoot, it's too late. Like, he's... He spent all this time hyping himself up. All this time you know, making sure he was ready to kill this person. That the adrenaline, the moment, the stress, the anxiety, the the, the, the speed of which this all has to happen. In in one second, Burr sees the thing goes up. He's like, no, you can't, but also fires. And it's just a mess of emotion. That's my favorite way to interpret this line. That there's no ulterior anything. There's no headspace stuff going on. That Burr has no knowledge of anything Hamilton was just talking about in his head. He just, he wants, he wants a duel. He wants it to be two people who are going to kill each other. One of us is like, he has the line, right? Like um, the world will never, it's him or me. The world will never be the same. He's convinced it's, it's, it's both one or the other. And now he's presented with an opportunity to not do it, but it's, he just doesn't have quite enough time to really think it over properly and stop himself, which makes it even more tragic which makes it even more tragic that he doesn't quite regret it only after he shoots. He has the split second of realizing that he shouldn't, but does anyway, because he can't quite, I don't know, that's my favorite reading of the line and the way I love it the most. And you, 
just so I'm hearing correctly, you think he's screaming wait to Hamilton? Yeah, yeah. Like, as in, like, not, not but, like, I, I'm sure there's other interpretations of this line that aren't right. that, or that he's screaming to the audience, or that he's in his own head. My favorite no, no, no. rendition... Yeah, yeah. You're you're it's, saying like you're you are you are eschewing the idea that Burr has heard anything that Hamilton yeah. has said. He's he is on his own. It is just Burr in that moment. Yeah, and, and it is this, just it is this immediate reaction, and he's screaming, "Wait to Hamilton!" Yes, like he is screaming, like wait yeah. specifically because what Burr wants is a duel. He wants uh-huh. to think to himself, Hamilton is going to kill him so he can justify shooting him. And when Hamilton raises his pistol at the sky, now it's not quite a fair fight anymore, and Burr doesn't want that. Burr doesn't want that guilty conscience of, oh, Hamilton was never going to kill me, so I shouldn't kill him either. But what I like about this interpretation is specifically it gives Burr a moment of regret before he shoots him. Not yeah. just after, not just after he's thought about it more. But I love the idea that he, he in the last second, he sees Hamilton aim his pistol at the sky, has this little bit of regret or resentment for Hamilton not quite following the rules or whatever, you know what I mean? And wants to not shoot, but just this happens in the blink of an eye. There's stress, there's anxiety. He spent so long pumping himself up. His finger just, like his hand is shaking and his finger just shoots. And he's like, no, like I, I that's how I interpret this whole thing. Is that he's yelling, wait, to himself, to Hamilton, to the first aid person, to the doctor, sorry, not the first aid attendant, the the seconds, the world, the, whoever is in the forest. Okay, yeah, yeah, this is what I'm getting to. This, this is why I was asking, this is why I was trying to ask such specific questions, because I interpreted this moment very, very similar with one with one difference. I think that he is also ignorant of everything that Hamilton just said. I do not think that Burr in this moment is omnipotent. He's not, yeah. he doesn't know everything. But I was asking, do you think he's screaming wait to Hamilton? At him, yes, but like to the world, like to everyone. I think he is screaming wait specifically to himself. I think Burr immediately realizes I have misread this entire situation. I am fucked. Stop. And then he can't. That's what I take the moment to be. Yeah, I, I think I'm expanding that weight to himself, but also just like, wait, don't put your pistol in the sky. Like, like mm. I, I interpret it like, because any of these one, if Hamilton hadn't done that, Burr would have shot and things would have been better. Burr wouldn't have quite as guilty of a conscience because that just would have yeah. been, right? Like, I, I think the weight is kind of just time. Like, at, he's yelling in the air, like, time, slow down. Like, wait, 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 I need, I need to stop. Like, time, wait, Hamilton, wait, me, wait, stop shooting. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah, I I got gotcha. you. I for me like it changes the delivery depending on who the intended recipient is. I I think it makes it more dramatically ironic if it's to himself. But I also completely understand it being in his frenetic energy in that moment. He's so like distraught by everything that's going on. Yeah. He could be he could be yelling wait out loud to everyone present. I take wait. I think it's possible that's completely internal. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he really yells it out loud. I think it happens yeah. in his head. 
But I think we, yeah. he needs to yell it out loud so that we know what happens. We, we, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just, what I'm saying. He's like, like looking like he needs to take a shit. Like he's just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Weird with just the the facial expression. All right. Yeah. Uh, you can tell Burr, regardless of how you interpret the weight, you can tell Burr immediately regrets his decision when he starts explaining the next bit of the situation here. The way he says, I strike him right between the, his ribs. The music is dark. It's kind of sh- not shallow, but kind of hollow in a way. It, it's kind of just like the energy's gone from it. Not in a bad way, but like you, you, you were at 100 and you fire and you're immediately at zero. Like the whole, like building up to the duel is like going on the roller coaster. And then you've gone down the roller coaster at breakneck speed. And then you kind of like pull into the station where you get off. Right, like it's just an immediate release of all of that energy that's happening. Um, he strikes him right between his ribs. That's definitely deadly. Right, like that is yeah, right? that's Not bad. Like, Phillips, you're kind of like you need to know anatomy a little bit. It went through his side and then into his right arm a little bit, and like there was an infection involved. So was it like just unlucky that it got infected on the way over? Or, like was it deadly? Like Phillips' death, there's a little bit of like eh, doctory schmocktery shit mm-hmm. going on <laughs> right this one you're like oh yeah that's deadly yeah hamilton's not making it out of the shot between the ribs yeah Which I, just, I just like the difference that they didn't try and make it like oh, i got shot in the ankle or it's like it's just right the, the dead spot right i would have been happy if that wasn't true and they made that true just for the musical that it was like the ribs i like that i like that well yeah but also there's uh like it is it is deadly like you get right between the ribs. Like there's a lot of sensitive stuff there, but when you're when you're aiming to kill, it's that's probably not a terrible actually, shot. Yeah, I was gonna say he might have he might have missed his target. That's <laughs> not where. So it references back to Burr's not, and this is a tangential detail. It really doesn't matter to the drama of the moment, but like it actually speaks to Burr not being the best shot. I'm still living in this margin of error or the gun sucked. Oh, I know. I know. Um, I walk towards him and I am ushered away. I don't think about this too much other than just like definitely a sign of regret. Right. Like I imagine it's not common at the end of a duel to like, just be like fully in shock and like walk over. Like I, I imagine almost this like zombified person. Like, Burr's delivery, or Leslie Odom's delivery, is fantastic, and he's kind of just, like, he's kind of just, like, living in this weird space where he, like, can't believe what he's done and knows he's fucked and knows it was the wrong choice, but he's, like, trying to be nice. Like, he's trying to, like, maybe I can help. Maybe I can fix this. Like, I'm, I'm going to go see him. That was that was mean of me. Like, I shouldn't have done that, right? I I I love it. I love that he's, like... But I also like that he's ushered away because that's not protocol. You can't go over to the person you just shot between the ribs and say, hi, he's currently dying. They got to fix him up or at least try to fix him up. Right. And for all they know, the doctor, the second, like you don't regret this at all. Like you, you actually asked for the duel. So I like that he's ushered away. I'm assuming by his second. I think that's the smart, competent thing for the people there to do is usher Burr away. Yeah, I think that's the right thing to go uh, uh, with there. I mean, they may, like, you just shot the guy. Are you getting closer to him to inflict further damage? Right, You know? Yeah. Um, 
But I love that moment of trying to get close to him. That's Burr's version of my first friend. Yes. I That's like the Burr's yeah, version. Yeah, I love of, that. Yeah. Yeah, I really do. Like it it does speak to regret. It does speak to uh the end of Bridge on the River Kwai. What have I done? You know, yeah. it's the, the there's this feeling of instant uh instant remorse that influences the rest of this number because there is there is absolutely no pride in having bested hamilton throughout the rest of this song no he is not, not he is not happy about it no definitely not um i like this line <laughs> they row him back across the hudson it's like oh, i'm I wasn't assuming he would swim with a bullet in his ribs. Like <laughs> it was just like it's a fun detail that I guess you need, but also we I would have totally just insinuated they rode him back and that Hamilton didn't like hop up and like I I, I think maybe what they're trying to get is like Burr is watching him leave as he's being rode and like it just furthers the regret. Like you're watching Hamilton with bleeding out of the ribs, and you're watching them place him into this boat push the boat into the water and row him away. And you just don't know what's going to happen. Like I, I get that there's a lot of that stuff happening here. I like yeah. just reading it as simply as like, well, yeah, of course they did purr. <laughs> like good. Well, they did, but like it, it speaks to, it speaks to have how the world has changed. Like we, um, we start the song with, we rode across the Hudson at dawn is, that, um, that's like that's one of the first lines in the song. We we rode across yeah. the Hudson at dawn. We, Hamilton and I. That's the we, right? Hamilton and I rode across the Hudson at dawn. At the end of the song, they rode Hamilton across the Hudson, which means I can row and he cannot. He has to be rowed. I have crippled him. Is is I take the purpose of that line to be. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I I just like the simple reading because then you get to dunk on Burr a little bit. Be like, Thanks well, we always the, love that. Thanks for the detail. <laughs> I assume they put him in a life jacket and had him float across. Like, thank, cool. All right. Yeah, p- paper clip a, a twenty dollar bill to your collar and then wish you the best of luck. Maybe my favorite line in the whole musical. I get a drink. Like, what else are you gonna do? Of course you do. I would have several, several dozen, maybe. Like. Of course he gets it. Like, what else is this guy going to do? You've just murdered someone. You regret it. You regret it before you actually pull the trigger, at least in my reading of it. Like, just, like, just minutely. Mm-hmm. But you you still have that moment where, like, you could have stopped. You, you keep, like, I imagine there's a part of, like, I could have stopped myself. Right? Yeah. And, like, what else are you going to do? You got to drink. I, I, I just like the simplicity of that moment. There's nothing else he can do. It's done. The damage is done. The situation is done. The shot has been fired. It is in his ribs. He's be he's rowed across the Hudson. What what can what can you do? You get a drink. I, I just like that. I like that because it's simple and it's what you can do. It's a it, it's what he can do. That is what he can do. Well, and it and it's you know just almost immediately adjacent to I hear wailing in the streets. I have to seek refuge. My regret is so much that I have to seek refuge in a public house and get a drink because I am already, this is the same day, and I already know I fucked it up. Yeah, you also got to get into the pub before they find out you killed Hamilton. 
Yup. <laughs> you gotta get the yeah. Hey, can I take that keg home? Yeah. Back away from Weehawken. <laughs> can I have? Can, can, I, uh, can I have a? Can, we, can I have a couple bottles of Weehawken's finest for the road? Can we? Can we set up a delivery system for the next? I don't know, couple years before Although, I go. To to give credit to Burr, or the pub here in this hypothetical situation, I'm sure the pubs of Weehawken are used to servicing regretful dueling patrons <laughs> well or, or not regretful or super stoked hey ah, i just murdered that guy over in weehawken so i hear wailing in the streets leads me to believe that burr is back in new york city at this point he's gone uh, yeah. back across the river they, they right? happen in the order that he gets a drink and then he hears wailing so it is theoretically possible he gets a drink in weehawken and then by the time yeah by the time he's hearing wailing he's back in new york definitely yeah i don't like I don't think that I don't think that you linger on the dueling grounds. I think you go there just to shoot people. I think you try to get out of dodge as quickly as possible. Right. Somebody tells him he has to hide. People aren't happy. Which makes perfect sense. Of course this was going to be the reaction. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what Bert thought was going to happen. He was it, he was America's darling. Hamilton just picked the last president. Like right. what have you done? Yeah. Also, the the actual we have no time to talk about it right now, but the actual story of Burr and his gallivanting around America as an outlaw vice president is fucking hilarious. And then like his the stories of him going back to the Senate and being the president of the Senate where half the people in the Senate I mean, you murdered like the main person in their party and having to deal with that like that all of that is also fascinating. Yeah, and I also like I would love like I know we've we've bandied the idea about about having like the the post episodes after this episode like we did at intermission. Uh I I want to talk about the 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 crazy secessionist colony that Burr wanted to set up. It, yeah, it's like crazy. Burr the rebel. It's a like Burr's story is the most interesting story that's not told in this musical absolutely it's it's fascinating just even just read the wikipedia article is fun getting more into it is even better but like just reading the wikipedia article is great holy fuck three hours and we're not even done this song jesus okay it's it, it it's a two-parter dude it's happening yeah, yeah it's gotta be anyways um, it is happening <laughs> i'm calling it right now we're angelica and eliza were both at his side when he died I like this. I guess it implies that Angelica was in New York and wasn't far away and that lucky that she's not in London at this point um, or else that would be completely unbelievable that Hamilton took a minimum eight weeks to die. Although maybe, not, I don't know. I guess since he died pretty quick after this duel. So Angelica, not in London. Bit lucky. I imagine that was really sweet for Hamilton to see Angelica there. Yeah, this is this is a very tender moment in the show. Uh, the idea that that both of his surviving Skylar sisters are there. Um, uh, I'll add to this uh, that, you know, I can't remember if Angelica was there or not, but uh, it is true that before Hamilton passed, he had Eliza get all of their children. And they were all in a line at the foot of the bed. And he and he passed away looking at all of his children. That's nice. And as 
And yeah, as much as as much as being an orphan and losing one's parents is a part of this story. Like and he had lost Philip and we just got back from Weehawken where Philip died. Like Alexander Hamilton who died without parents got to pass away being able to see all of his surviving children with his wife and their mother at the foot of his bed. And that is, in my opinion, just one of the sweetest, most tender things ever. Like that was his dying wish was to be with his children. What do you think Eliza's reaction to finding this out is? I am shocked that Lin-Manuel didn't want to include this. I think especially because I guess now in the next episode, <laughs> there's one more. You all win, listeners. Um, we talk a lot. We're going to talk a lot about why it's called Hamilton, and 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 it's about Eliza as well. Not giving us Eliza's reaction to finding out that Hamilton did not, in fact, have a meeting at dawn that she had been lied to. That it was a duel with Aaron Burr, in which he did not even try to win the duel, and instead allowed himself to be shot. I'm not trying to say this in like a funny way, like as much as I do like to meme about a lot of this stuff. Like, I, what is that like? I want that reaction so bad because to me, it so thematically fits with the musical. Like it wouldn't have felt like too much. Like it would have felt in line, but from what I can tell, there wasn't, it wasn't like written and cut out or anything. Like it just doesn't exist. But I want to know what like Lin-Manuel's thought is about what Eliza's reaction to this is. Betrayal hurt is it like you can't even process it because like your husband is now just dying so you have to deal with that and kind of process all of the trauma after right i don't know man i just i'm really interested in what eliza's reaction is because she takes it pretty well afterwards afterwards she's going to go on and do the orphanage and interview soldiers and all that stuff but i want to know what that initial like someone comes to your door and like what is that like for eliza who is told she's going on a meeting at dawn, which should have alarm bells going off at dawn, but whatever. You you have to imagine that there was a moment, there was an honest and genuine moment from Eliza of you fucking idiot. Absolutely, like what the but fuck? The, but that comes a day or two later because you're immediately dealing with the trauma of he's gone. He's dying in front of my eyes. Like you, you prioritize because that's what a loving partner does. Not, not, not because she was subservient to him. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying because she was a genuinely loving partner. He made a mistake, and she was just, she was there, and she, she was. That's what I imagine, right? Not, not because he had hoodwinked her into being subservient to him or she was completely fooled by him being noble and wonderful or whatever. But I have to imagine that the immediate moment is let's deal with this problem. I'm the matriarch of this family and now I am the only parent. And now I have to take care of all of our children. I have to handle this crisis. Um, I have to make funeral arrangements and it's going to take weeks for the ponies to take those letters out to the people that are doing the funeral. You know, it's like, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. I understand why there isn't time 
at this point in the play, there is not time for us to deal with that. But I'm forgiving of that because we get the emotional payoff for Eliza in the next five minutes. Yeah, It's just that they give us with Philip the the really, not immediate, immediate, but pretty immediately rushing into the hospital. Right. Like that immediate panic. And I I just, maybe I just regret that it's Philip Sue that I want to see acted out. I kind of oh for sure. I think maybe what I don't regret is that this moment's not in the musical, but I regret not being able to see Philippa Sue and just her amazing capability act out the different levels of emotion here. Maybe that's what maybe that's what I'm. Well, and it could also be that we've had that moment already with Philip, right? You can assume it's something similar. You know, it's like it's an emotional shorthand, like because we have seen that from Eliza and Philippa Sue both. We've seen it from the actor and the character. Yeah, we can intuit what that moment is like. It is also the exact same situation. Like in one situation is like, knock, knock. Hey, Philip was in a duel and got shot. He's going to die. The next situation, mm-hmm. hey, knock, knock. Alexander was in a duel. Like, it's the exact- I, I get what you're saying. yeah, yeah. After Eliza and Angelica are by Hamilton's side, and we kind of learn that, we get about three seconds to kind of figure out how we feel about that before Burr drops into this beautiful kind of re-rendition of, um, you know, death doesn't discriminate between the sinners and and the saints. It takes and it takes and it takes. And those are identical lines, and I feel about them how I did when they were first kind of said to us. Reference that podcast, listeners, if you want to listen to my detailed thoughts about how I feel about those lines. Um, But it's just perfect there, um, just like it was perfect before. And, And then history obliterates, and every picture it paints, it paints me. And all my mistakes. And I find that interesting. Because on one hand, it's completely true. Right? Like, history does obliterate. Like, we were talking earlier, like, about Christopher Columbus being the first person to discover North America. Like, fuck off. Like, it's just not true. It's just not true. But there's a determination for history to be written that way where I live. Like, it's, it's a determination. Like, people are determined to make that the truth of the situation. Right? And you have a lot of, like, other sentiments from other pop culture things or real world things like like history is written by the victors right that that the the account of history can never be fully reliable because it's written from somebody with a point of view with a stake in the game with people who are concerned about how they look how their friends look how their decisions look and so on one hand of course history obliterates it always has it always will there's no neutral um, on omnipotent being that can fairly write history in a way that perfectly that you can read it or watch it and have a perfect representation of what happened. It's not possible. So history will also, no matter what the best intentions are, will always have these little gaps or massive gaps if you have poor intentions, right? But we'll always have gaps in it that need filling that can never be filled. But on the other hand, for Burr, right? It paints him in all his mistakes, which, well, while Hamilton didn't get maybe as many pictures painted, right? You're in, again, Hamilton gets to come out of this situation with the nice paintings. And Burr <laughs> gets the shit ones. History is painting Burr as the villain. 
and he's talking to us the audience so this is back in him like in, in i'm the villain in your history like he's talking to us so he's back in his 2021 burr that actually knows what 2021 is like right and so again even in 2020 burr hundreds of years after he's dead in this weird headspace he's in tell her talking to us the audience is still like fuck i get to, I, i'm the villain in this whole thing and hamilton's not and the, the truth is much more gray than that but that's not what happened here i do not think burr is like the villain in the history here right i find him guilty of making a terrible choice here but mm-hmm. i don't like i think on balance hamilton has done the more villainous stuff so i i like the point that he's making here I'm like, hey, wait a minute. History is painting me as the villain, and that's not really fair. And I think I agree with him. I think I agree with him in this case. Right? I and agree also, too. most most people's only exposure to Burr is actually this musical. I know. So for most people, most people only have this to work with when they're like it's fascinating. I, I think and I agree e- with even even before this musical they knew Aaron Burr as the guy who shot Alexander Hamilton. Not as the vice president or anything. Yeah. And when you're talking about Hamilton's villainy and how Burr expresses it here, I am very much in line with that. I love this musical. I love that this story is getting told. And I love that Alexander Hamilton did some amazing and respectable things. But I think that he, I think he raised his pistol on purpose to make Burr the villain of the situation. I, I think he knew the, exactly the what the he was one, doing. I think that's, I don't think it's the one A reason. I think, I think that he does it more for the, that he's looked at the other side and decided he wants to die aspect. And the fact that it also means Burr has become the villain and he gets to look good on top massive win but hamilton also acknowledges that that's not guaranteed it's planting seeds in a garden you never get to see that's the romantic version that this musical brings to us yeah right and and i think that it does so successfully i really do i think that that is a successful delivery of that version of hamilton i'm saying if you're talking about our mutual memory of what burr was like who he was as a person I'm going to be the first one to say Hamilton discolored Burr's memory by making Burr allegedly murder him. I like, I'm one of those that like Hamilton is one of the great bastards of history for what he did to Burr on that day. Right. In the musical, it is much more romanticized and much more empathetic because of that, that, classically tragic aspect of the story they were destined for that moment yeah we know that from the opening song i'm the damn fool that shot him Um, and i think that there's there are few things more heartbreaking than i survived but i paid for it that's what's next here um when alexander aimed at this guy he may have been the first one to die but I'm the one who paid for it. And I, fi- I find that interesting in a, in a way, because here, here in the situation, 
of a duel where one of the two participants in a duel is dead, of course the alive person is the only one that could pay for it. I'm assuming there's some level of legacy here where in this cultural time, a dead person can still pay for a th decision they made when they were alive via the tainting of their legacy. Like mm -hmm. that, that leaving the mortal plane doesn't exempt you from having to further pay in quotation marks for things. Right. But on the other hand, he's right. He's right. The shit that Burr gets for this situation does not match the, the, I don't want to say the factual accuracy of the situation as if this musical is a fully factual account of how this all happened. And, but, and I don't think it's, it's but, intended to be. But it, within the musical, Burr, Burr, musical Burr is very much hard done by here in terms of the legacy of this moment. I don't agree. Like, when he has to go back eventually into the Senate as the vice president who shot the other party's fucking person at that point i have no sympathy for burr like you, you like i have no sympathy for burr in that point right like you made your bed you will lie in it burr that is going to be mm -hmm. awkward but in terms of all of history for the end of time painting him as the villain in this situation that's ridiculous i find him guilty of making a poor choice i don't find him guilty i find him guilty of having terrible justifications for that poor choice but i don't find him guilty of being this like alpha asshole who is fully to blame for this situation to the point where he becomes the obvious villain and Hamilton yeah. is not like life happens in the gray. Both of these people are in the gray. They both contributed to the situation to varying degrees, depending on who you are and how you view it and what sets of information you're using as the factual account of it. But I'm with Burr on this one. Like, yeah, it wasn't quite, Fair. And I, I wanted to, you know, I'm going to give the listeners here a little insight into Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter for a minute. Um, this isn't the only story that deals with these ideas. And the situation is very different in Harry Potter. Um, but there's the line, do not pity the dead, Harry. Pity the living and above all, those who live without love. It's another quote on along the same lines that we heard in this musical where... Um, you know, Washington is saying, like, living is harder, my guy. Right? Dying is easy. Being dead is easy. You remember how easy it was before you were born? Yeah, it's pretty chill. That wasn't so terrible, right? Like, being dead is easier. Governing is harder. Living is harder. Literally anything is harder than that. And I, I just like that over multiple stories and multiple popular pop culture things, that that's kind of the sentiment all these things kind of agree on. It's the same in Game of Thrones. I can point to multiple moments in Game of Thrones where they deal with a very similar sentiment than this, that dying would be so easy right now. Staying alive and staying here, like looking after my wife and children, right? Being a lawyer, being a good husband. That is so much harder than just submitting to the other side where I get to hang out with Lawrence and I get to apologize to Philip and I can see my mother. That is easier. So I just like this sentiment. I think it's the one thing, no matter how complicated the story gets or how different they are, I just keep finding this in every popular pop culture thing that this same sentiment never changes. Everyone is almost in universal agreement that in theory, death is the easier choice and living is always the harder one. And I find that fascinating 
just from a human being psychology point of view and what we like in stories, I don't think it's a coincidence that all of the big pop culture phenomenons have this sentiment placed in them somewhere in some way. I don't think it's accidental either. And it's one reason I still continue to celebrate this musical, even though I do acknowledge it has its flaws. It, it does not, it does not say that Alexander Hamilton was perfect. He does in fact, take the easy way out. Burr, with the level of pain and regret, remorse, whatever you want to call it, everything, you know, he could take the easy road out right now. And no matter how bad a shot he is, he could find a way to, you know, can't miss his own head. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, um, but he lives with it and he lives with being the, the villain in our history. Um, he does. Yeah, beautiful. Um, He's the villain in our history. He was too young and blind to see. He should have known the world was wide enough for Hamilton and me. So Hamilton and him. On one hand, mm, mm, was it the world? On one hand, no. I on one hand, Burr, the world is pretty fucking wide. Like the fact that it took you up to the point of murdering him to be able to analyze the world and society is sufficiently large enough for the both of you tells me something about whether you were ever going like it adds to the inevitability of all this. If well, Burke, you, if you know what, you know why he doesn't understand that the world is wide enough for the both of them here, right? It's because he doesn't know where France is. <laughs> That's exactly right. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, he he he. His actual peripheral vision is limited. It's a it's a condition, and he it's just like he can see where he is, but everything else there's not enough room. He's claustrophobic, dude. On the other hand, this is also funny because like the Earth is fucking huge, right? Like there's lots of room for everyone, but just within that society, it it this tells me that Burr was never gonna get here before he murders Hamilton. Like, if it takes murdering a person to realize the world is wide enough for the both of you, you are probably always going to murder him. Like, it adds to the inevitability of this whole thing. That this... But also, it's a little bit easier. It is a little bit easier. Not being alive, harder. It is a little bit easier to imagine the world is sufficiently wide for two people when the one person who is hogging up all the space is someone you killed. If I'm in a room with a person and I kill them, and they are no longer in the room, and now I have all this space, it's easy for me to rewrite my memory a little bit about what it was like to live with them. It's easy well, to fudge. Well, that's true. It's, that's e- true. it's easier when you're now enjoying all the space. But we also got to remember that we're viewing this from the through the lens of a show entitled Hamilton. You know, we've... As, as much time as we've talked about John Adams, I posted in the Facebook group the other day, I got the book. I'm going to, I'm going to solve this mystery. I'm going to figure out if John Adams was really crap or not. Right. Right. I, I am also curious to discover and read a well-intentioned biography of Aaron Bird that is not, given through the lens of being the guy that shot Alexander Hamilton. You know, I like that. 
I'm curious to know if that informs as to whether or not the world was wide enough for both of them or like what his, is there any record of what his POV was at this moment? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, obviously the world is wide enough for the both of them. Like, like of that, course. Like yeah. We live in a world every day where two people who are sufficiently or like as mad at each other as much as Burr and Hamilton were, did not murder each other today. Like, <laughs> like, Right, like I, there is enough room. I think part of it is like the society provided this pressure release valve of a duel. That's not mm -hmm. an option today, but there's there's room. The duels make it a little easier to feel like there's not because you have a murder even as much as you want it to come back. You know, right? The, the, being able to murder the person you feel is hogging all your space in a socially acceptable way does make that more tempting when they're when they're making you claustrophobic. Right, because now when it happens in real life, it's like, uh, they're not so bad compared to a prison cell. So I'm not going to murder them today, and I will just remain mad. Um, fuck, that's the end of the song, lyrics-wise. We're only at, what, three hours? Awesome. Good stuff. Um, I do want to call out, I, don't, I hate to do this really quick, but I'm going to do it pretty quick. I'm just going to, I have moments in my head that I want to call out. I'm just going to call out the lighting. For all of this song, including the transition into the next one, which we had intended to talk about this episode, it, it's just on point. It's, it's just perfect, right? Every moment of the lighting is absolutely perfect. Um, the kind of, a, a lot of good use of blue to symbolize the moments of regret and remorse. Um, a lot of use of no lighting, actually. A lot of use of the blacks of like an unlit portion of the stage to really inform kind of where people are, where the duel is happening. Like, I don't know, I just... Like, like addition by subtraction is sometimes time, important. And I enjoy that they don't oversaturate this song at all. Every moment has the perfect amount of light in the right places, including the moments where there's not a lot of additional lighting. I feel like they're really good choices. Um, but I really like the transition into the next song where it's distinctly warmer once Eliza's there. Anytime Eliza's on the stage, when Hamilton's looking at Eliza and she's got her arm out, when they transition to next song and Eliza's going to be kind of front and center of it, the lighting changes and it's warm. We're kind of out of this bluey dark moment. And we're, I don't know. I, I just don't know how to articulate lighting well, other than I loved it. It matches perfectly, but I wanted to call it the addition by subtraction is specifically impressive. Cause I'm sure if you're the lighting technician, for, same with any profession, if you're the choreographer, if you're the, whatever you want your thing to stand out, you want your thing to be the thing people see and having the restraint to understand that some of these moments don't need a lot of like the lighting you got is perfect for it. I just loved it. I loved whoever did the lighting for this song. I mean, the whole musical amazing, but this song I really stood out to me is I particularly enjoyed it. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's a phrase that's commonly used not only in lighting design, but just in, in several different fields of visual art. Uh, composition is the art of subtraction Ooh. because what you're doing right is you're taking things away so that you make sure you know where the focus is i imagine how every scene goes for a lighting director and their crew oh, okay let's I'm, go let's hear my, it in my yeah, head, yeah. No, no, in my head canon based on that just on that quote as i imagine that everything starts and you literally just flick on every fucking light like no, all no, of them. Okay. <laughs> and, then, and then one by one you just start flicking them off until you're satisfied like oh no that's perfect that's perfect right there. I just no, <laughs> no, 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 no. You, oh, you pedant. 
no, I will. Uh, so, no, what, what I mean is, you know, when you walk into the theater, the house lights are on, the, the curtain warmer is on, you know, uh, you can see the whole room and you can see the whole stage. You don't need to focus on anything generally at that moment. You, you want to take in the set design as it is as a whole. You want to understand what the overall field is. You're going to experience this play in what that field is. And as you go through the show, you needle things down to very specific focal points. You take things away. We've talked about Yorktown. We've talked about Hurricane. And there are these very dynamic moments of staging and lighting, both working in concert with each other. But <laughs> composition, when you're composing an image, what you're doing is pulling out all of the fluff, pulling out the distraction, and showing someone what to look at. Whether it's studio art, whether it's lighting design, whether it's sculpture. Composition is the art of distraction is the best way to describe sculpture. Because you start with a big block of something, whether it's marble or clay or whatever, and you chip away at it, right? Yeah. Um, your version is much more hilarious than mine. That's what I mean. And you start with every fucking yeah. light on, and it's just blinding, and you're like, no, nope, we don't need the greens. Yep, no, we don't no, need we that. we don't need the floodlights. No, they're turning off. <laughs> no, turning those off. Now, that being said, I so I have, I have this friend. He is, a, he is dear to me. His name is Kevin. Uh, his name is Kevin Frazier, and he's a lighting designer, and he's also a professor, um, I believe, at the moment, at Wake Forest. I'm so sorry if I'm getting that incorrectly. I haven't touched base with him in a minute. I forget where he's teaching now, but from Virginia Tech, I believe, at Wake Forest now. Anyway, so we were, we were talking... Um, I did a production of Oklahoma, and I had all of these like big, fancy light boxes and... We had the the t the name of the show Oklahoma was all of these light boxes over the proscenium so that when it came to when it came to the titular number of Oklahoma we could spell out the name of the right. show in the gotcha. light boxes and I was so excited I was you know doing all this stuff and I was telling him what we were doing with the show and uh, he was like oh yeah man that sounds so exciting. You know what I did last time I did Oklahoma and we got to that number? I turned all the lights on. <laughs> and what he's saying there, right? What he's saying is he was doing things much more simpler than I was doing. Right. And he was much, I was overcomplicating things. So in a way, he he was living up to the rule of composition is the art of subtraction better than I was because he had all of the lights on, but it was a much simpler song. It was just like, yeah. we're doing it. Okay. We're turning them all on. Um, he's a fucking genius. He really is. And what you're, what you're talking about, you know, the, the difference between designers like Kevin and designers like me I think the reason the lighting design of Hamilton really succeeds so well is you have both kinds of moments in this show, right? And in, in World is Wide Enough, 
the lighting is perfectly drilled down to the focal point. That's why you notice it now, because you have time to pay attention to how perfect it is. If you're just watching the show for the first time, you probably don't realize why it's working on you so well. And that's what makes it so successful because it is so subtle. It's not about adding the, all of the strobes and flashes and all the business from Yorktown. It's about pulling things out. And I agree with you. It's a 10 out of 10. It's fucking brilliant. Yep. Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> That's exactly where I was at. That's awesome. Um, few other things I just want to call out. I'm sure you have a few other little bits. Uh, awesome bullet catch by Bullet Girl. The timing on that can so easily be off by like half a second and look kind of weird. And and you know what? The Disney Plus version is perfectly cut, so it was never going to be off. <laughs> you can just cut to the camera the second you want it to. Um, and then do like a deep fit. But like, she, she has that timing down when she walks in front of that gun and puts her fingers mm-hmm. there to catch the bullet. And I just wanted to call that out. I wanted to call out the ensemble, specifically in Hamilton's little dreamscape thing. I they they just do a good job of kind of adding to the moment and making they become fluid instead of static. They're kind of moving around and I'm I'm literally moving my arms in like wavy motions on my camera right now. They're like moving around more fluid and they're reminding me of the water and the wind and like nature and that like this is this is Hamilton's like headspace. We're not really in the real world any like i don't know i just maybe i'm way attributing too much to the ensemble but they don't get enough credit so i'm gonna give them an attribution here um costumes hated them (laughs) and that's again call the uh call the hate no i love calling out the ensemble there i've never liked costume i've never seen a musical where i like the costumes I've never seen a musical where I ever thought, man, those costume people know what they're doing, ever. And you know what? I dare say you never will, because they're always (laughs) terrible. (laughs) They always are. We need to get a t-shirt. Like, fuck the costumes. It's on a sticker or something. Hashtag let's dive deep. Uh... Oh man! Oh, so so many emails. Sorry, just um, just for so viewers, before you email me, most of you that like the middle, the episode where I dunked on the costumes was the middle in between season episode where we streamed it live and we were doing our so, awards and stuff. So many comments. And so when we were live streaming it, I made a comment about the king's costume that I won't repeat here for fear of reprisal. Um, which was very funny. I don't actually hate the costumes. I love the costumes. I love the costume department. I think they're doing great work. I'm just an idiot, and we're just memeing. So don't email me about the costumes. They are actually fantastic. Email me us about anything else, though. And I will support Bradley in, you know, maybe it's Ill- ill-advised to meme about some people's professions, but I will say we did spend some time earlier tonight talking about how Burr and Hamilton's costumes supported the narrative elements of this song. So we're not completely ignorant. I know I'm not. I do this for a living. Um, I also hate grocery store clerks. <laughs> All of their work. I think they're terrible. I I just want automated. I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> you're just you're just trolling at this point. I want I want self checkout only. 
Um, <laughs> I will, you know, on on that point, I will celebrate how the the neutral tones of the ensemble costuming on the perimeter of this number work with the lighting and like create this reflective surface that we can have this color bouncing off of and kind of frame what's going on with Burr and Hamilton and how much of a difference it makes when they're removed. When we just have Burr, the bullet and Hamilton, and it's just the three of them on stage, it makes such a difference because now our focus is hyper directed on these three figures on stage. They come back and we notice they come back because they're in their cream or beige nude. Uh, so many different ways for me to describe that color. I'm failing to pick one, but they're in their, they're in their off white neutral base costumes, right? They come back on stage at the word legacy because these are the people that are going to carry on the legacy. So now we have to have people on stage. So now they come back. And so now we notice them. But it's just, it actually is kind of brilliant how how strong the base costumes for this show are. Um, and circling back to your uh, one of your other closing thoughts, talking about the bullet and how she catches the bullet and how she moves in this moment. If you're watching it live or if you're watching the Disney Plus version instead of listening to the soundtrack, if you're watching it, notice the discipline of whomever the follow spot operator is that is zoomed in on just her hand miming the bullet as she moves across the stage because she is not in spotlight, but her hand is. And whomever that spotlight operator is doing that night after night deserves to clock out and get a free beer after every shift. That is an amazing talent. The discipline to follow that and not be shaky on the tracking. The discipline to work that spot and track just a hand, not a body. Just a hand is amazing. I know that I couldn't do it. I can't do it, and I do this shit for a living. (laughs) I do not do this shit for a living. In fact, I know very little about it, and I know I can't do it, too. Which makes a lot of sense, actually. There's a lot... The things I don't do for a living, I mostly can't do. I think that's true for most people. I don't know why I'm saying this as if it's a profound thing. Of course, I can't operate the lights at a... Anyways... There is one thing that I do know that you actually know about, and that's Harry uh, Potter. But first, I want to know if you have anything else you want to deal with in this number before we... I don't... We were so foolish to think we were going to get through this in one episode. We are, we are dullards, my friend. It is what it is. We're going to do another episode. It's going to be amazing. If there is anything I have forgotten, I will save it for the next one, which is not because the song is less meaningful. It is just much shorter and involves less characters with lines. Like, we're not getting into the whole minutiae psyche of multiple people. 
and a second by second basis next song so i feel like that'll run probably two hours and then we'll have an extra hour if we need to recap anything from here no, I got nothing. It does leave the viewers a chance to email us for a week before they hear the next one, which is awesome. So, hey, win, win for the viewers, the listeners. They get another podcast. They get another chance for their emails, which we got multiple of this week. So many emails, probably about seven this week. I want to say seven's about right. A lot. I'm good. I'm excited. I, I got to admit, um, when when we first started doing this, my favorite part was just getting to to spend my Sundays with you. And then it became getting to spend my random weekday at some point with you. But then it became, I got to enjoy some time with you, but I got these emails, dude, I got it. It's the best part of it. I am loving the interaction. And now, uh, we've got, uh, you've set up the Patreon, you've set up the Facebook, that level of engagement has been super great. I am, I'm honestly like, it's my favorite part hearing from people that are listening and that engagement. It's like the one Twitch live stream that we did. Now we get it every week and it is really fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Stay tuned for let's dive deep Harry Potter folks. We, uh, we have come up with a cacophony of ways. That's not the right way to use that word. I'm going to keep going with it though. (laughs) That sounds right. That is not right at all, but it sounds like the right word. We've come with a cacophony of ways to interact with the podcast. We got a Patreon, we got a Facebook, we got the email, we have the Twitter. Um, we're gonna we're gonna try and make us and the podcast as accessible as possible. Because at the heart of this whole thing, we just like talking about these stories, right? I wouldn't do a deep dive on something I didn't like, right? And so like we like talking about it with each other, but more so we like hearing what you think. So reach out on the email, let's dive deep pod at gmail.com. Twitter's at let's dive deep. Facebook group is in the uh, in the show notes. You'll need to figure out the secret password to the question, but I'm sure you'll get it. I'm not going to give it to you for free, um, but I, I promise you'll you'll see it and go, oh, I know exactly what the password is. But also, you don't have to get it exactly right because when we approve people to the Facebook group, we, we can just give it for a good guess. But yeah, do you have anything else to add for this episode? No, I don't. I probably I'll do. Just, I probably do. I, it's one of those things. There's like, I'll could, just, you could know, we go for you, six hours? Probably. Is it, you let me. You let me sit with this for a little bit, and I'll I'll come up with more. I'm just. I really. My my takeaway from this is how 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 significantly and how completely you and I are both just simpletons for thinking we were going to do both (laughs) of these songs in one episode having so many months of knowing how long-winded we both are thinking we were actually going to do this in one i don't think like the fact that we didn't do it kind of invalidates any like claim of genius that we have for anything else it's okay. Editing Brad is going to put a blurb at the beginning about how it will not actually be the final episode. We lied to them the whole time. <laughs> They'll know at the Bradley. beginning. They won't figure it out halfway through. They'll know we're at the very beginning. There'll be another one coming. You I think- can't. You can't edit audio, but yeah, they're going to figure it out. Like you can, and this is going to be fun because this is going to be a total like Inception thing. Like they're going to get the warning. And then they're going to hear us realize as yeah. we go through so that we fucked yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, these two fuck ups are heading out of your ears for right now. <laughs> we will see you next week for the final. There's no, there's only one song left. 
So it cannot be anything but the final deep dive. We can't even, there will not be a part one, part two of that. It will be the final. I'm confident that we will not make this mistake again. Oh, we'll Just be back. you wait. We will be back. <laughs> yeah, we will be back with that episode next week. Feel free to send us all your emails and tweets and everything on the Facebook. In the meantime, we'd love to hear from you. Facebook also, not just for like this related to this podcast, put any old stuff in there. We have a spoiler policy so you can come in confidence that if something's currently on TV or um, in the theaters or something, there's a there's a, a grace period where it has to be spoiler tagged so you can come in, you won't get spoiled. But if you want to talk about the newest James Bond movie, head to the Facebook group. If you just want to chat about stuff, like head to the Facebook group. Like it's meant to be a community thing of just people who like this podcast, but also people who just like other stuff, like that genuinely same interests. We like Hamilton, we like Harry Potter, we like the other things that are cool in the Game of Thrones. I don't know. What what do you like? You talk about it in the Star Wars. Talk about it in the uh, Facebook group. Feel free to search Let's Dive Deep uh, Bridgerton, which will be coming back for season two. So if you want to catch up on season one, I did a deep dive over there which is awesome. If you're listening to this in the future, uh, Bridgerton season two will probably be out. Let's dive deep. Harry Potter will definitely be out. I've been toying with maybe doing some, I have about a month off every December where I just don't work. And so I've been toying with doing maybe a, the Witcher, just a solo show quickly doing the Witcher a little bit. I really like that. So just search let's dive deep, check the show notes. There'll be some stuff around. Otherwise that's it from us. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you in the next one.